It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. That's something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough. But your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. <laughs> your father's lightsaber. The weapon of a Jedi knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. Welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. And welcome everybody, it's Dave AC in the chair. Yes, I can promise you it's going to be one of the best episodes. Stop, 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 stop. What's the heck? I'm back. Oh. Thinks he owns the place. Now. Welcome to one of the of average episodes. Welcome to one of the average episodes of the Cult Collective Podcast. Hi, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. That's Let about me be a you. <laughs> Is that a warning or a promise? <laughs> oh, promise. Oh, I always make good on promises. I hope we. Were, I thought we were going to have a good episode today. Uh, sorry, uh, was my mic live when I said that? Uh, hi, Ian. Lovely to have you here. We've missed you. I'm sure you have, but your aim's improving, right? <laughs> oh dear, I've not responded uh, yes. to that one. <laughs> I'm back, and it's about mediocrity. Uh, no, it's about time. Um, yeah, it's good to be back, everybody. Um, Dave's probably explained why I haven't been here. Um, he's drugged me, uh, had me tied up in a basement, and uh, yeah, I won't get into the rest. It's hard I had uh, Captain Jack holding a weapon on him. Square this gun! Oh dear. <laughs> I told you it'd be a rotten episode for you here. <laughs> that <is so> much. <laughs> That's thrown him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see who else is here to ruin the I day. I don't like surprises, Ian. I can't cope. <laughs> All right. Also joining us on audio, Mr. Landau Thor is here. And I'm like, why? Well, I, I don't know what's going on here, but shenanigans are ensuing. And it's not even trivia. What's going on? I know. Shenanigan over, overflow. <laughs> also joining us on audio is Rickwall. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. So where's the presents? Where's the cake? Yes, happy birthday, Rickwall. Rickwall's birthday today. Oh, I won't say happy how old he is, but he's yes. uh, a lot younger than I am, so he should be happy. <laughs> well, our present to you is we're not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the Copeland singers are, have been retired a long time ago by popular request. <sighs> All right, he's not feeling very well, so everybody send good wishes his way. Just the Seventh Doctor is here. Logan, I think we've hit the EL rating now. <laughs> Hi, Ian. This is longer than the ESL rating. I can't. I mean, this is a topic about ultimate sci-fi's weapons. I can't help it if your mind thinks of something else. <laughs> Gosh, no, it's long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, it's oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, you were saying yeah. about it not being trivia? Oh, <laughs> uh, trivia. How long before Colton falls apart? Now! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and lastly but not leastly on the audio, Dara Skeptical is here. Hello, sir. Oh, very leastly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh,. <laughs> Thank you, Cybub. Cybub's coming in the, in the text chat. Is, it's going to be a long show. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Cybub, it's time to lower the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And joining us under the joining Cybob under the cone actually, uh, here to steal our show topics is Logan. Hello Logan, just saying that because you can't reply on audio. <laughs> anyway. And guest ten and eleven and guest um ten is apparently uh Quantum Solis, who's having trouble logging in. Hello. <laughs> right. That's everybody that's here. And, uh, oh, one other person I forgot. It's the Typing Monkeys News Time. Go, Typing Monkey, go! But put that gun down. Yes. <laughs> All right, um, first up. Ladies, we... your ratings just went up. <laughs> you have no way to handle a segue, do you? No, 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 no. no. I was going to go into our first piece of news being a sad piece of news, but you've ruined it. Uh, dear, dear, dear. How, how did you people cope with him in charge? We're too polite to answer. <laughs> All right. Um, well, our first piece of news is a sad piece of news, and here to handle that is our very own Mr. Dark Skeptical. Because sad news is what I do. Anyway, uh, Glenn Jones has died. Now, Glenn Jones is the, or was, the, the oldest uh, surviving writer uh, for Doctor Who, at least credited writer. Um, and now that leaves us with who would be next on the list. Oh, probably Donald Tosh, but Donald Tosh just barely squeezes by as a credited writer. He was only credited on the for Bell of Doom, which is the first episode of um, The Massacre. No, sorry, the last episode of The Massacre. Um, so, you know, he's credited for one quarter of a serial. Basically, there are no writers left from the Hartnell era. 
which is very sad. Uh, Glenn Jones was the writer of The Space Museum, a kind of personal favorite of mine. Uh, you can, I think, find an old, old episode of Podshock, where I do a review of uh, The Space Museum. Kind of cool, very innovative first episode. Um, interesting production history on that episode and how he had to, I think, well, it would probably been Probably been Donald Tosh himself, who was the script editor at the time. I think it was Donald Tosh. And how they had a big sort of uh, to-do about how much humor should be in the episode and how most of his humor was stripped out. And so that was kind of the last, uh, the only episode of Doctor Who that he wrote. But he was in, uh, as an actor, the Santaran experiment, where he played one of the, the survivors on planet Earth that... Uh, the Doctor and Sarah and Harry met. Um, so part of the reason that all those guys uh, in the Santarnix have South African accents kind of oddly is, is because he was South African and he was the central guy that they cast. And so they found some other people who were South African as well to cast with him. And so that's why that episode has uh, a South African feel to it. Um, interestingly, of course, the, um, he, he was uh, opposed to apartheid, um, and you will part of the deal in space museums uh, is, and it, it's also later in the Savages as well by Ian Stewart Black, is this kind of implicit um, anti-apartheid kind of thing, and space museum of course features uh, who uh, the guy who played Boba Fett, um, Bullock, Jeremy Bullock, uh, leading a band of rebels, and those rebels are kind of, uh, you can easily substitute in, you know, the people who would have been anti-apartheid against the, you know, sort of staid uh, overseers who are the Morocks, I think, uh, and they are, you know, kind of the apartheid regime, more or less. Um, so, you know, he, he's managed to work in some interesting stuff there. He had a much broader career, very interesting career um, that was in both novels and uh, theatrical plays along with a little bit more television. Um, and he traveled kind of around the world. Um, spent a great deal of time, oddly, in the southern U.S., I think. Um, I seem to recall he was a professor for a while, um, somewhere in sort of the mid-Atlantic South, I think probably close to to where Mike is. Uh, probably might have been North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, that sort of area. He was a professor for a long time, and also did uh, he was a, a theatrical director too. And so he, um, as a part of his academic duties, would take over the um, drama department of the whatever schools he taught at. I want to say. Clemson, maybe Furman, somewhere in that sort of maybe, and in Virginia, maybe James Madison, something something like that, sort of mid-range schools. Uh, and so he was in the uh, drama department of those places and and did a lot of directing. Um, and you know, had by all accounts a, a really broad uh, career. He also was in later years. I think he started up a detective series of novels, and I think it went for 
four or five novels, did pretty well, um, really up until very recently. Uh, there's no word on exactly what he died of or anything like that. I mean, he was, he was of advanced years. Um, but um, a very active guy into his later years, kept a really nice blog for a long time, uh, which you can still find at Glenn Jones. That's with one N, glennjones.net. And um, just uh, he also wrote uh, the target novelization, it should be said, uh, about the, the Space Museum. So he's one of the few uh, writers who actually novelized his own work. Um, it's an interesting novelization, of course, because he's doing it and not Terrence Dix. It follows his own pattern. It puts back in a lot of the things that um, were taken out by the script editor, and so it's therefore really interesting to read the book and then compare it to the eventual product. Um, and if you want to take a look, obviously both things are now on DVD and have been for some time, really. Um, and so you can easily get the Space Museum. You can easily get um, Santarin Experiment. You can probably even find it on Hulu, which I gather is probably what we're going to talk about next. Thank you for that lovely segue, sir. <laughs> Uh, yes, it is indeed what we're going to be talking about next. But uh, before we do, I think Mr. Cuddly Ken is joining us. Ken, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello, everyone. Hey! Excellent. He's back I in am. the land of the living. <laughs> yes, Welcome I, back, Ken. I had to escape from Terminus. <laughs> <laughs> I still got to figure that one out after watching it in a fog. Uh, How could you escape you? from Sarah Sutton? Are you insane? <laughs> no, no, I was, I was, I was, no, 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 we're, we're, it's a Walking Dead uh, reference. Oh, sorry. Not a Sarah Sutton, no, I never escaped from Sarah Sutton. No, she could fan <laughs> me and peel me a grape. Uh, <laughs> I think you'll find she's a scientist, sir. What well, she will do is she will cure you and at the same time strip down buck naked. That's what she does. Let's get it straight. Okay, I, I'll, I'll go for that. I'll go for that. that that's the that's TLC Ken's talking about here. <laughs> He's feeling right. I always am. Definitely. There goes our ratings again. Oh, uh. Back in fine form. Uh, right, yes, as Darth was alluding to, um, it came to my attention um, that, and I don't know when they did this, but Hulu has added a ton more classic Who. The uh, Netflix and Hulu, and I think to the same extent, um, uh, Amazon all had about the same amount of the same episodes of, of uh, classic Who, uh, which made it really kind of once you watched them, that was it. You know, there wasn't anything else to do. And I did remember asking. Netflix on Twitter. So it's the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Any chance you're going to have any more episodes? Oh, well, yeah, that's a great question. Thank you very much for asking it. <laughs> and that's about as far as I got. But Hulu has uh, really upped the ante, so hopefully it'll start some kind of competition going on. I don't know. But there is now a ton of episodes uh, uh, on Hulu. And I'm taking suggestions, uh, especially from the first three Doctors on stuff to watch. One of them, of course, actually that did, did I have seen on there is the Space Museum. So I put, I'll jot that one down. Um, but yeah, if you want to send me suggestions, you can do it on... Uh, I might start a thread on, on Facebook 
um, of, of, of stuff to watch from the first three Doctors, because I've got, you know, some stuff I haven't seen in a very, very, very long time. So it's just like, you know, patchy areas in my memory of stuff that I may or may not have seen. There's some things I've seen a lot, you know, like who hasn't seen Inferno like 10,000 times? Uh... <laughs> Why not, though? It's a great episode. It is. It is. It's a great episode, but it's just, you know, you tend to, you know, oh, hey, let's watch this, because it's great. And then you end up missing out on something that you haven't seen. That's true. Sure. So, uh, so, yeah, I'll be taking suggestions, and I'll start that thread on, on Facebook uh, sometime between now and the end of the show. And, uh, yeah, have a go to, go to Hulu. Um, this is not a commercial for Hulu. I'm just really, really glad that they've added, you know, more Doctor Who content. Um I think they got all the Torchwood as well, and uh, as we noticed, the Sarah Jane Adventures is on there as well. Um, so just really glad of the content being out there. And I think it was on a prior show that I announced that uh, Hulu has also added. Um, they're the most up-to-date with uh, with New Who as well. Um, they've got everything up to, including Name of the Doctor. Um, so uh, as far as New Who, they're the, they're the, the most up-to-date, so... Um, it's always good news to have uh, one of the streaming content providers to have uh, a lot of who and it happens to be Hulu <laughs> it's a good joke okay. Hulu <laughs> see what it is there alright well you saw what I did now let's see what Dave's going to do Dave you have some news yeah, just let me read what Sly Bob has usefully and helpfully put in text first. Um, uh, Jeremy Bullock uh, in the Space Museum, uh, I mean. Um, and uh, But he's, the main thing about the uh, the sad loss uh, is uh, on his blog it mentions that Jones died of organ failure due to his ongoing heart condition. I think he was 82, I think. Um, uh, yeah, very sad news, but thank you for the extra information there. Uh, since uh, you mentioned that about Hulu, let me just... Um, Remind. I think this we've talked about this uh, before, but um, for those people in the UK, just to remind you that the Horror Channel uh, is showing some classic uh, Doctor Who as well here in the UK. Uh, they're picking uh, certain episodes which may uh, have a horror theme in them. So it's launching on Friday the 18th of April uh, with the first story of an earthly child. But the stories they're doing are The Mine Robber, The Damians, uh, Damians Genesis of the Daleks, Talons of Wai Chiang, Caves of Androzani, Attack of the Cybermen, and The Curse of Fenric. So um, uh, those are in the chronological order starting on Monday, the, uh, Easter Monday, the 21st of April. So I'm sure if you're in the UK, you can check uh, information on that. Um, other pieces of news. Um, it was uh, announced a little while ago that... Um, one of the actors that we we talk about uh, um, is doing lots of different things, and uh, uh, we've got more information relating. We talk, um, it's from Sherlock. Let me get this right. Oh, he's, he's thrown me as he in with his little references. Uh, we talked about Martin Freeman, um, and in fact, I tell you what, why should I mention this uh, when we've got a real enthusiast uh, for this particular piece of news? Uh, Ken, do you feel up to talking about this uh, Benedict Cumberbatch news about the Richard III? Why, sure. I'm always enthused about the Cumberbatch or Shakespeare or cool things. Um, 
following up the hollow crown, we're going to have Benedict Cumberbatch playing Richard III. So if you think he was maniacal against New Age Trek, boy, he's going to put that hump on and uh, really do it on stage. I can't wait to see this. I think he'll, he'd be incredible. Um, but I think it's fascinating that both him and Martin Freeman are playing the same part. That is, that, that, that's, 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 that's incredible. Um, I don't know any other details about the production, but it's following suit on the, uh, the first uh, production, which had Jeremy Irons and uh, Ben Whitshaw and uh, Tim Hiddleston. So we have, you know, the the battle between Loki and Sherlock on who's going to be the king of Shakespeare for the BBC, um, it seems. Love to get them in a movie together. In fact, they might have been. I might have they been. have indeed. One is a dragon. Well, yes. a well no, Oh, that. No, but I, I was... <laughs> um, no, I, I was saying uh, Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston and, uh, and uh, Cumberbatch together. But yeah, uh, as a dragon against uh, against Bilbo, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that that's gonna that's gonna be uh, I think a showcase of the year because I I couldn't think of anybody, you know, ex- um, except for maybe Peter Dinklage, who I know did do Richard the Third on stage, which I think would be fascinating to see. But for Cumberbatch, oh, oh go ahead. I was saying, let me just read a little bit from my Sunday paper that has an item on this. It says, um, while Richard III will mark Freeman's first professional Shakespeare role, Cumberbatch uh, has already appeared in several of the Bard's plays, including As You Like It and Romeo and Juliet in London in 2001-2002. He will be playing Hamlet at the Barbican in London later next year. Uh, Cumberbatch Richard III is one of the three BBC television films being made by Neil Street Productions, uh, which was co-founded by Sam Mendes, uh, the stage and film director. So, um, yeah, same same kind uh, of did, did Hollow Crown, and um, which I thought uh, thought was wonderful, as did Darth. You know, so this mm. this is going to be really a highlight to watch for. Right. So, so that's uh, excellent news. Just a couple of other things that um, mentioned. Uh, one is, uh, for again, those people who like other good TV, hopefully there may be another Dave AC recommends. Uh, starting in the UK, very shortly actually, on BBC One, is The Crimson Field. No, not The Crimson Aura. Uh, this is amid the cordite and gangrene. There's a whiff of call the midwife here. So anybody in our room that likes call the midwife might be interested in this. As viewers are invited to decamp to a First World War field hospital for a six-week tour Sunday night duty. Uh, Boulogne, France, 1915, reads the caption as three young women uh, arrive at the overworked nurses' cope with the increasing number of wounded ferried back from the front line. Uh, the newly promoted matron, played by uh, Hermione Norris, uh, welcomes uh, the assistant, but makes it clear that no nonsense will be tolerated from these raw recruits. So, hopefully that will uh, be uh, another 
success and something really worth watching. So I think that's all the, the, the pieces of news. Oh, yes, there's one more piece of news uh, for fans of the actor uh, Tom Hardy, who seems to be in everything played Bane, I think most recently in the film. Um, actor Tom Hardy is going, joining forces with Sir Ridley Scott for a BBC One period drama about the East India Company. Eight-part series called Taboo will star Hardy as a rogue adventurer who sets out to build a shipping empire, pitting him against the East India Company. Uh, Inception star Hardy, who wrote the original story with his father Chips, uh, called it a flagship British jam, drama for this generation. So that's another thing to look out for. Yeah, we're getting very highbrow here, but uh, we'll go back to Ian anyway. Ian, you have something to tell us. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Way to build me up there. Um, <laughs> well, David mentioned uh, to me earlier today about uh, getting together and, and recording a, a review of Megacon, which is one of the reasons why I wasn't here because I was attending uh, Megacon a couple of weeks ago uh, up in Orlando, where I got to meet John Merriman. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> worth the money. Um, the man is every bit as handsome in real life as he is on TV. <clears throat> but anyway, I thought I'd give a quick rundown of the events of Megacon and uh, some of the things you might want to look out for in the future on Goldham. Um, me talking about John Barrowman a lot, that'll come up a lot on Goldham, as <laughs> you didn't already know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we spent about three hours of our time trying to get into Megacon. Uh, my wife's trying to get tickets while we tried to park our car. Uh, Megacon has got bigger and bigger every year, um, and it has gotten to the point now where it's almost getting too big. Uh, I don't know what the the answer for that is or how they intend to handle things next year, uh, but they are taking suggestions on their on their page. Uh, they've been quite open uh, about um, the problems that people were faced with this year uh, trying to get in. Um, the entrance to the convention was actually down some stairs. They had some smaller rooms where panels were taking place, but the main showroom floor uh, was, was where you know most of the convention was happening. You had to go downstairs to get to, and there was only one elevator for those of us who were, you know, who had uh, small children with strollers, uh, for people who uh, who were in wheelchairs or, or um, had, had problems moving around, uh, and that created a huge line as well. Uh, so, they have some things to work out before the next show, uh, for sure. Uh, so we managed to stay there about four or five hours. That's about as much as we could take because it was so overcrowded. Uh, it was very difficult to walk down aisles. You know, you had to dodge people. Um, people were actively complaining about our stroller. Um, I was actively complaining about cosplayers. Um, I love cosplayers. I love all the effort that they put into... Um, their costumes. Um, it's one of the reasons why I don't wear any anything in the way of a costume to a convention anymore because uh, these people are just way too good at what they do. But there needs to be some kind of agreement that is made between the general public and cosplayers where if you want a picture of a cosplayer, you move to the side. 
you don't stop in the middle of a a, a hallway um, or an aisle and pose for a photograph. It disrupts the flow of traffic. Yeah, there's got to be there's got to be an answer. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be an answer because you guys deserve to have your picture taken um, and deserve to be stopped and have it admired. I believe that, but. Uh, it creates so many traffic problems, it's not funny. More than somebody with a stroller does. Um, one of the one, one of the highlights of the, the, the show, um, I'm not sure if anybody here is familiar with Red Rocket Farm. Uh, you can go to redrocketfarm.com to check them out. Um, it's a cartoonist by the name of Jason Thomas um, who does uh, uh Free drawings for complete strangers. I think that's the exact title. I'm not sure. Um, but basically, he had uh, a booth there. We'd we'd seen some of his stuff uh, thanks to um, Kate Rex that had recommended Red Rocket Farm. And uh, I love I love he does a lot of stuff with robots and and, and things. So um, they had a sign there uh, for people to stand in line to get free artwork. Uh, basically, what 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 Jason does is he asks you questions and then he draws something based on your answers. It's kind of a bit <laughs> it's a bit of a cheat, I think, but we'll find hopefully find out more um from from Jason himself because I've arranged to uh do an interview with him sometime in the very near future. Uh, but when it got to our turn he did something a little different. Um and if you follow me on Facebook you'll you'll um you'll see um, he asked if he could draw a picture uh, for my son Callum, who's uh, just come up to four years old, and he drew him a robot that will protect his room from monsters um, and scary things, no matter what. Uh, and that's what he wrote on there. Uh, this is Callum's robot, um, and is now on Callum's wall in his room. And it's one of the loveliest things that happened at the convention. Um, so, uh, thank you, Jason, and. Uh, and pop along to uh, redrocketfarm.com and uh, and check them out. Uh, other fantastic things um, were all the displays that, that were there. They had a, a huge Lego area um, where the Lego builders had uh, things on display, plus areas where kids could, could build their own stuff. Uh, the 501st were there. Uh, Wookiee builders, uh, R2 builders. Uh, we got some lovely photos with some of the R2s. Uh, Callum just absolutely loves R2D2 now. Whenever he sees the end of, whenever he hears the um, the end of uh, uh, Clone Wars, he comes running into the room. R2D2. <laughs> so uh, it definitely made an impression on him, and and uh, love the efforts that those people put in there. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was one of the, the great things was the, the the amount of exhibition stuff. I mean, normally you get booths with people exhibiting their work or, you know, um, their wares. But to have these groups uh, displaying all the, the hard work that they put in um, is just fantastic to see. But that's about it. There was, um, yeah, uh, it was a difficult time, especially when you've got a family and you're trying to navigate, you know, uh, these crowds. But still, I enjoy going, you know. Especially when you get to meet John Barrowman. And especially when Eve Miles shows up and they jump on each other in the middle of the hallway. And, yeah. There's a sandwich. <clears throat> uh. 
All right, but uh, that's that's. Uh, I don't know if anyone's got any questions about the convention or or anything, but uh, uh, yeah, Thanks, I Ian. Yes, I, I think you could say that instead of a pleasant Dagwood sandwich, that would be a Torchwood sandwich. <laughs> uh, give me a minute. Hang on. Yeah, pictured. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, what's our what's yeah, our ra- what's our rating now? <laughs> I, I think we're verging on uh, SL. Okay, okay. And for anybody who doesn't know, that stands for Squid Lord. <laughs> uh, but anyway, expect us to be at uh, the next one, um, depending on who's there. Uh, but there's also another event that you'll hear more of uh, coming up in the near future. It's called Nerdfest. It's in Orlando. Um, it's coming up, and it's all about the bands, uh, geek bands, who will be uh, featured at it. Um, and uh, so hopefully by next week, I'll have uh, worked out some audio for that and uh, some announcements for that. I've been uh, talking to the organizers. Hopefully we'll get them on for an interview as well. Uh but Orlando's turning into a bit of a, a, a geek hub at the moment, which is great, uh, especially when it's only two and a half hours' drive from my house. So, happy. <laughs> right, right, that means you have to get in touch with Rebecca then next. Uh, yes, yes. She's actually the closest she's cro- going to be is she's going to be in Atlanta. I'll have to look up the dates for that. Was thinking very, very much of, uh, of, of driving up to Atlanta just to meet Dr. Rebecca Housel. I think she's in Philip, uh, Philly this weekend, isn't she? Yes. Yes. So, oh yes, and look out for her being on our show in the very near future. Uh, she's promised, promised that she she's going to be coming back, and Dave's uh, uh, been swooning ever since. Yeah, that's uh, Doc, Doc Housel on Twitter, uh, the pop culture professor. All right, I think that about wraps it up for that. So, yeah, um, the the upside of this is. Uh, um, my absence has meant I've actually come away with a, uh, a few more interesting things that are going to be featured on Coldham. So, hooray! Hey. Oh, uh, and maybe we'll uh, we'll get some members of the Coldham Collective also doing reports for us later in the year. Yes, yes. Um, the Long Island Opera Who Convention is coming up. If 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 things go right, I may 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 show up, but a very own. Uh, Barry, Barry G is uh, is going to be attending, so uh, hopefully we'll hear some more uh, from Long Island too, uh, just like we did uh, last year with uh, this, or was it this year? This year, this last, yeah, whatever. This is Daphne Ashbrook, and you are listening to Cultum Collective Podcast. Ta-da! I did have a couple brief items. Okay. Oh, uh, please do. Okay. Um, Game of Thrones. The new season premieres tonight on HBO. So, Bad Doings in Westeros uh, should be fascinating. It's an incredible show. Um, one of the best, I think, ever in uh, this season or history of television. It's remarkable. Um, as I was alluding to earlier, we had the season ender, very strange season ender for The Walking Dead. Um have to talk to Ian off about about this one uh, when he <laughs> sees the episode, or someone who's seen it. Very very odd and uh, a very good episode. And there's a cable uh, network that I 
I just got, and I don't know if it's in different areas, called Epics. They're, they're currently showing Star Trek Into Darkness, um, which I finally saw. Um, the Captains, that interesting documentary, and uh, Skyfall, and The Avengers. But um, I think that was like very new for um, Star Trek Into Darkness to be on a, uh, on a cable service. I thought that was uh, rather fascinating yeah. that um, that's come on so soon because it, it hasn't hit any of the others, and it, it's it, it's such a recent film, actually. Yeah. So, but finally, finally got to see um, Khan. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. And I actually rather enjoyed it. Uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah. Too late. Off put by things, but. I have to say, my favorite thing was the last five minutes of the film, where they say what's going to happen now. It's like, okay, it's beginning finally. I really enjoyed that. That just gave me a very goofy grin, and it was kind of like, okay, we got we got all the symbolic mess out of the way. Now let's see some Star Trek, you know, and and have fun with this crew, and um, have a little less angst. And uh, you know, have them have their own flavor with it, but um, yeah, not, not the revolting development I feared it would be. But I laughed at the appropriate points, you know. Um, miracle blood, miracle blood, etc. Spoiler. <laughs> but but uh, that's about that. Um, Interstellar transports. Yeah. Of course, you know. Uh, transporters, I should say. Five seconds of Alice Eve is worth a price of admission, I say. <laughs> and back to our scheduled show. I'll be quiet about that. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. This is going to be one of those shows. As it always is. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. All right. Well. If you want to get in on all the antics and shenanigans of the Golden Collective, here is how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Ta-da! All right, we made it to the main topic. <laughs> Not a moment too soon. Dave, is that a uh, gun in your pocket, or are you just happy to get on back? I get the blame. Uh, thank you, Ian. You're welcome. Okay, well, let's get going. We're nearly at the 40-minute mark. Thank you for all those people staying here on audio. Apologies for the length of time. Those people are not used to joining us on the, the collective. As I say, this is episode 250. In actual fact, it's our uh, 447th episode, uh, but um, that's because of all the other uh, commentaries and studio shows and interviews that we've done 
uh, which don't get a number. So hopefully uh, those news listers that we've just been getting from Pure Collect and Player FM and so on, thank you very much for joining us and staying with us. And um, that just takes us up to about the 40-minute mark. Now, we had a little bit of discussion before the call today, and we just have six people here on audio. Um, the the title is um, Top 10 Ultimate Sci-Fi Weapons. And uh, we've put, in actual deed in the show notes, I think I put three different lists that we're going to refer to. There's an FSX list, there's a Den of Geek list, and there's um, a list from uh, IGN. And uh, I will probably be putting those links in the room. And um, we've already had some criticism for some of the uh, missing uh, weapons that are not included. And I think for uh, the sake of this uh, topic, uh, rather than sort of spend an hour on each list, um, we'll go fairly quickly through the list um, and basically stop me and buy one, as it were. So um, uh, you may find that um, when we go through one list that uh, some of the same weapons uh, occur in the other. But because of the pre-show talk that we had, I've got a feeling that we need to set aside more time this week uh, You know, for, well, what about this you missed out? What about that you missed out? So um, I'm going to ask those people in audio to absolutely jump in um, at a moment's notice if they, they want to contribute. I've got um, a number of clips, and because they are listed differently in different episodes, uh, are not at all in certain episodes, um, what I'm going to do is just play them um, sequentially, I think, uh, rather than related to when we get to them. Some of these clips are really very short, and by short I mean 10 or 11 seconds. One of the things about audio clips for weapons is um, they go bang, they go bang, they go bang, um, and often there's not dialogue at the same time. So um, for that uh, reason, you may find some of them uh, extremely short uh, and maybe not that enlightening, uh, but hopefully not too spoilerish. So um, the um, let's um, ooh. Uh, let's go with um, the first one, um, and it's a very short one. This is from uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's the Alpha Omega bomb, and then we'll start with the uh, first list that I put in the room. And we'll go from there. The heavens declare the glory of the bomb, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I reveal my inmost self unto my God. They are nice and brief. So uh, I'm going to quickly go down uh, the page that's um, listed here on FSX, dated um, 27th of March 2014, so quite up to date for us. Um, and this is um, the top 10 ultimate sci-fi weapons. As normal, they start uh, with 10 down. Uh, I know Ian, I'm hoping Ian can be uh, here to read a few of these out. I know he, he may have to step away for certain points in the thing. He'll probably put something in text for that. And I'm hoping that I can call upon others in the room to perhaps read a couple. Uh, and um, let me... Um, go here um it says here game of thrones season four is nearly upon us thank you ken we've already announced that uh and those danger uh, those dragons are sure getting big when fully grown they're the ultimate uh, westerosi weapons of mass description 
but what are some of the other most powerful weapons in science fiction and fantasy? And at number 10, they have the Colt. Uh, that's the Colt gun from Supernatural, repeatedly used in seasons 1 to 3, makes one final appearance in season 5, and the description, a revolver made by the renowned gunsmith Samuel Colt, 1835. There's a trivia question for you, Mike. The Colt can kill anything, almost. Effectiveness, used to kill seven demons, two vampires and a phoenix on screen. Sam Winchester also drives a demon out of uh, John Winchester with it by shooting him in the thigh, uh, which is one way to work out your daddy issues. Weaknesses, there are five things the Colt can't kill, Unfortunately, Lucifer is one of them. Don't carry many bullets either. So um, I'm going to just read down the list unless people feel as though they want to come in on them. I'm just going to come in. I mean, I have not seen Supernatural. I haven't seen a weapon in, 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 in action, but judging by the picture, boring. It really does have no style to it, does it? Or is that its style? Well, I don't know. Well, actually, when I saw the, the image, I thought, oh, this is going to be from Cowboy v. Aliens. I thought that's what it was going to be from. Right. But uh, not. Okay, uh, I'll give people a chance to sort of uh, get into the mood, as it were. And uh, again, as I say, apologies if I brush past you. Um, can you read the next one, Ian? Because I don't know how you pronounce that spell. I don't even know either. Um, Avila Kadavra, The Killing Curse, source from the Harry Potter franchise. Uh, one of uh, three unforgivable curses, the use of which will get you a life sentence in wizard prison and make you fail defense against the dark arts. Effectiveness. Uh, responsible for the deaths of over a dozen named characters in the books, including, perhaps most significantly, Harry's parents. Weakness can be blocked by intercepting it with another spell. Uh, can rebound upon the caster if the target has been protected by another person's love-fueled sacrifice. Bad luck, Voldemort. Yeah. Right. I'd have to say that they're, they're, they're kind of like, I mean, yeah, spells are... Well, that's what struck me about this. I mean, I have got a clip later on. I'll play them in sequence now. I've said I've done that. I will do that. But in actual fact, I would have thought that the weapon they would have chosen for this is, I think it's called the Elder um, Elder Wand. Um, that, um, which again, without, I'm very careful because I know that, uh, well, let's say Mike Spoiler is very alert. keen about, yeah, Mike is very keen not having uh, Harry Potter spoilers. I know that. <laughs> So um, he's, he's always very cautious about. But it, that. it's it's the person and the power behind them, not not the curse. So they're they're making it into it's it's, it's kind of like a samurai um, with his blade. The blade's not important. It's the power behind the blade. But but so, I thought like Lord of the Rings, where you have one ring to rule them all. The Elder One was the most powerful. Well, no, the wand, the, the wand thing. Yeah, you're, you, that that definitely that was that was a whole um, big quest in the in the storyline. So you're right on that. That that's much more important, and uh, you know, to the whole um, to the whole saga than just yes, there's yeah. there's a there's a powerful curse that kills. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a big spoiler. Oh, I'm sure I would, I would really disagree with that statement. 
Huh? No, I I would very much disagree with that statement. At least within the, the films, Avada Kedavra is absolutely the the prime evil. I mean, it is it is what you are trying to escape. It is. I mean, it, it's it's the substance of the final battle, you know, between Harry and um, Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, but it's the emotional uh, subtext of it, and I, that they're making the thing up just about a, a weapon. It's it's Voldemort's evil and mas in mastery of it. Um, it. It's it's not just the spell itself. So that, but I, you're you're exactly right in that it has, it has a great importance, and it's about how it's wielded, how it can be blocked, how it can be survived, etc. Let me contradict myself and, and let me play this little short clip from Harry Potter. It lasts 14 seconds. You might consider it slightly spoiler, but it's not majorly spoiler, but I'm sure it can be construed as spoiler. So next 14 or 15 seconds from a little clip from the last film. Here we go. Count it down. The Elder One. What should we do with it? We? I'm saying, that's the Elder One. Most powerful ones in the world. With that, we'd be invincible. And I cut it off as quickly as I can. You can come back if you didn't want to hear that. The 15 seconds are over. Uh, I mean, the, the character there refers to the fact that it is the most powerful one. Uh, obviously, you need to be able to cast the spells and so on. I mean, we early on in Harry Potter, we have Hermione uh, learning to use the wand. She's the only one that can make the feather float and things like that. So obviously there's a skill level and there's the, all the, you know, experiatus or whatever it is. Um, and the fact that uh, of the three, Hermione is the, is the most gifted one up to uh, the end part of the storyline. But I would certainly, I, I certainly agree with the fact that uh, uh, the ones in general, I don't know enough about the actual spell making, but obviously, the, as, as Dar said, it's the um, it, it's the ultimate uh, spell. I mean, and it does in fact say that they are forbidden spells. These. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the important thing to point out is if you look, what is the point of Harry Potter, like the whole series? The point is essentially, um, how does an orphan uh, find his way in the world? Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it is. The, the story of Harry Potter's journey, and Harry Potter's journey begins with the casting of Avada Kedavra, because that's what kills his parents. That's what gives him the his survival of it is the thing that gives him the lightning bolt forehead. It's the thing that turn, makes him into a legend because he's the only person to have survived Avada Kedavra. Um, mm. it, it, it's it, and it's in every single film, right? In some way but, or another, but without being Avada, horribly spoilerific. Superseding yeah, that, yeah. that is a story of love. That is that is going to be an ultimate power, way in the background, uh, and um, because of these events, on how Harry survives and why, etc., etc., etc. So everything you're saying is right, but then there's that behind that all. It's not it's not just the killing. It's it's the love. And this kind of undying love uh, that um, keeps it together. So, I, I guess, but I mean that that the love you're talking about is just the other side of the killing curse. 
I mean, it is, it's like it's like saying, you know, can you have the dark side without the light side? Well, no, you really can't. But it's the dark side is the power. Well, I'm talking about the, the individual. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking about that too. I mean, okay. the whole, yeah, the, the the whole saga is about Harry and who Harry is and why Harry survived Nevada Kedavra. And you find out eventually why he survived it, and it is because of what you're talking about. It is because of the love and all that stuff. Yeah, but. I mean, if you're talking about this as compared to the Elder Wand as the big weapon in Harry Potter, there's no question but that it is Avada Kedavra. I mean, that that's in every single film. You don't even find out about the the wand until later. You know, it, it becomes central after um, Dumbledore dies, really. And you, you sort of discover retroactively, well, okay, the wand that Dumbledore is carrying, okay, all right, that is the Elder Wand. But you don't really talk about it that much. I mean, in in film one, and and therefore book one, you get introduced to Avada Kedavra, and you have some sort of contact with that in every single story thereafter. So it's much more prevalent, it's much more central a part of the story, I think. Right. I mean, you could make an argument, couldn't you, that the, the, the wand in general is the weapon of choice of wizards. So in one sense, you could say, you know, like a certain gun... Is uh, I mean, in some of the other ones, like in uh, the Fifth Element, it's the ZF1. In uh, in um, Aliens, it's the Pulse Rifle. In um, uh, in District Nine, it's the Art Gun. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, it, you could argue, in a generic sense, the one is the weapon that the wizard wields. Oh, that was good. Okay. Oh, uh, sorry, Mike's dropped off audio. I was just going to ask him about that. Um, okay, maybe we we can't explore that too much without being, as as we've hinted at here, very spoilery towards the end of that uh, franchise. So let's let's move on, if we may. Uh, Jeff, are you up to reading one for me? Number eight. Sure, Dave. <laughs> Number eight is the BFG 9000. Id, Id's Doom series of games is the source. The description, the big beep gun fires giant balls of green plasma, by far the game's most powerful weapon, no relation to Roald Dahl's big friendly giant. Its effectiveness usually comes, causes instant death to any demon receiving a direct hit as well as inflicting massive damage on any creature of hell caught in the blast radius. Could come in handy when it's time to queue up for Star Wars Episode Seven tickets. Its weaknesses? Very limited ammunition. The version seen in Doom 3 tends to explode if charged for too long before firing. Okay. Yeah, I um, a lot of this with uh, cheat codes. <laughs> so you can just automatically get the BFG. And they just walk around blowing everything to smithereens. Yeah, I mean, this is quite dated. I mean, Doom series, I mean, that predates uh, all sorts of stuff, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, looking at the graphic, is it an 8-bit machine game, that? Uh, no, a little later than that. But, okay. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think when, when, when Doom came out. Um, uh, it was the early 90s. Yeah. Mm. Something like 92 or 3. 
think. No, no, no. It was a little bit later than that. Um, Ninety-four, five, I think. Now, now they think yeah, mid mid nineties, right. I believe. Right, right, right in there. Okay, should we move ourselves along? Um, yeah, Doom, Doom, uh, sorry, Doom came out uh, December nineteen ninety three. Yep, eighty three, right? Ninety ninety three. Ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, let, let's move on then. Number seven, the Lazy Gun, Source Against a Dark Background by uh, Ian M. Banks. Uh, so we're on literature book here. Uh, description, an ancient and mysterious reality-bending weapon. Originally there were eight, but only one now survives. The only weapon in the universe with a sense of humour. I'm sure there must be one in a Hitchhiker's Guide. Anyway, effectiveness depends on the target. It has been known to cause anchors to appear and crush people, sudden lava flows to destroy ships, and comets to crash into cities. Weaknesses. Tendency to self-destructive tinkered with. One disappeared with its user when he tried to fire it at the sun. So don't do that. Sorry, well, we are getting some funny clicking noises. Um, Are you okay there? Is it something with your system? I'm uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm typing uh, an IM to somebody. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Well, if 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 you can self mute when you're not talking, that would be helpful. Um, while you're on audio, do you want to mention anything about this? Um, is this a writer you read about? Um, not really. Uh, there is going to be one or two I'm going to talk about, but not this right at the moment. Okay. If if it ever gets to a time near where you have to take the hellhound out for a walk, give us some warning and you can sort of do a bunch together, if you know what I mean. All right. Okay. Uh, Ian, do you want to move us along to the next one? Already. I was on the wrong page. <laughs> Oh, um, Babylon Five. Is, somebody, is, it, is, it, is it somebody? Is there a B five fan in here? Would I, you rather read this one? I, I, I'm a B five fan. Okay. Oh, cool. as, as am I. Yeah. Uh, Ken, do you want to Either do this one? one? Fight for it. I <laughs> oh, sure. Cage match. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Lita Alexander, post Vorlon modification, source. Babylon 5, Season 3, 5, 3 through 5. Description. Formerly a mid-level telepath, Lita was modified by the Vorlons to become a telepath and telekinetic of unrivaled power, essentially a living psionic weapon. Effectiveness. Capable of shutting down shadow vessels with her mind, telepathically triggers the destruction of the shadow's homeworld, Zahadum. Basically, Uri Geller's wet dream. Weaknesses. The Psychor. Lita can't legally use her powers without their seal of approval, which makes finding work a bit tricky. What's the point of being an all-powerful telepath if you can't even afford a bag of monster munch? Billy. Hardly a weapon, really, though. I mean... Oh, Lita? 
Oh, she's a weapon, all right. She's a weapon. You you don't remember the? Uh, yeah, she 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 got into that. That was her whole purpose. You you uh-huh. forget her uh, speech to Garibaldi about oh, in war you have small weapons, you know, personal guns. Then you have the little bigger guns like mortars and howitzers and stuff like that. Then you have the real big guns. The the weapons nobody wants to really use. Hello. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure about this. Leela had big guns. That doesn't sound right somehow. Leela had big guns. <laughs> no, the Vorlons had big guns. Oh. Her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 speaking of that, I think even a bigger weapon than this from uh, the Babylon Five series are the Vorlon planet killers. Yeah, yeah. And that's not on the list. And the shot and the shadow of um, um, planet killers also. That's true. Because they were the ones that in in uh, in. in Encompassed uh, planets, I believe. The shadow ones were. Yeah, they 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 did a little bit differently than the Forlorn version. Yeah. Same same result though. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we'll move on to number five. Unless anybody else has got anything to add on this one. No, but I, I would think that when we we do get to people adding their own ones that missed out, well, I think I do like about this page is that, that you know, it, it gives it a clear definition. You've got a description of what the weapon is, an effectiveness and a weakness. So if anybody's going to bring in any of their own at a later time, if they can at least bear those three, uh, you know, rules in, you know, with their description of it. Go on in. Uh, well, uh, if I could jump in one second, also right. they also didn't mention that she's still human, sort of. <laughs> That's another weakness. She ah, could be ah. killed. She could be killed. Uh, as far as I know, uh, she could be killed by a PPB PPG blast. Still. Yeah, or taking out to dinner and uh, winding down. <laughs> <laughs> However, she probably way, would know. Using the situation, she would probably <laughs> know what's going to happen if somebody was going to shoot her. Yeah, she gets she, she she would know it before they did it. Possibly. Get a robot to do it. We're trying to defuse the telepath. <laughs> Bester wasn't more powerful, he was just much more sneaky. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> will... right. Okay, let, are you going to the next and, one, Ian? And, oh, what he, do you want to look? He, he, he looked very suspiciously like Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Bester character. I can take number four if you want to take number five, Dave. All right, I'll take number five then, because uh, we've already, I've already played the clip, the Alpha Omega bomb, uh, so we'll be fairly quickly on this one unless... Uh, Anybody wants to speak at length? Um, source, beneath the Planet of the Apes. Description, the nuclear bomb to end all nuclear bombs. Powerful enough to destroy the whole world. Why anyone would build that remains a mystery. Effectiveness, destroys the Earth. Although it had been taken over by apes and the Statue of Liberty was... Ha- Ooh, spoilers! 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the sand. So no great loss, right? Weakness doesn't come with any kind of launch system, so the only planet you can use it to destroy is the one you're on. Seems like a design flaw. Well, actually, it was a missile. It wasn't just a warhead. So it could, well, actually, no. ICBMs couldn't, can't, bleh, still can't escape uh, Earth atmosphere. They're suborbital. So, yeah, just Earth. I think it's interesting, though, that, uh, you know, this thing appears in the movie with Charlton Heston. And, looks, and, and, and there's a whole bunch of people who just worship this thing that looks like a big bullet. <clears throat> Out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> it it is a very it's a strange concept coming off of. I mean, the first ape movie is just class act, start to finish. This is a fun movie, but let's face it, it's it's real goofy. Bunch of bomb worshipping mutants, and it is rather exciting and very strange at the end when. Charlton Heston comes back. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Charlton Heston comes back for the cameo and goes, damn you all to hell, and uh, and um, blows up the world, basically. He does it. He he gets shot, plunges, does the plunger down in front of it, and everybody at the time is scratching their heads. They're going to do a sequel ape movie? How are they going to do this? The world's gone. Hmm? And then, then they admirably came up with some nifty ideas. But this is kind of like one of those films like the Omega Man. Omega Man, Charlton Heston, uh, butcherizing of uh, Matheson's I Am Legend, where you're watching it and you kind of get, we were talking about a few weeks ago, that bad Trek vibe. It's like you like it, but when they start worshipping the bomb and taking off their masks and the organ music is going in the background, it it's kind of like the that 70s science fiction goofiness you'll love. Ken? Yeah? That's your opinion. Yes, I know. All right. Of course well, it is. Please, well, well, please then speak for yourself. And not I, am, I am speaking for myself. You're, you're using generalities like you. Well... I am using mine, and I, I am speaking only for myself. Okay. And when I'm making an opinion, it's always just of myself. <laughs> I'm I'm saying other other people will, will see it and they'll they'll think it's goofy too. You know. I don't. I know a lot of people who don't. Great, and it's it's the matter of that makes ball games. It's it's oh, your ra- it's your rating system. It's you might prefer one over the other. I I. I don't like battle. I really like escape and conquest. That's that's my opinion. Only my apples. But no, I'm not using the royal we. But you may bow now. <laughs> Big hug. <laughs> I didn't say I don't like it. I just I just find the the thing kind of like I some nifty Marvel comic book goofiness. That's all. It's 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 not a bad thing. It's kind of a Oh, jeez, I love this, but it's but it's kind of dumb. My my opinion. Uh, I would okay. I would agree with you on that, Ken. Yeah, uh, I would. I put it no, a, a no, lot no, lower no, than nothing than intended, the by the way, Rick. 
I'm not, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but you know, I, I know how you meant it, but I'm just yeah. saying, you know, some of us don't think it is goofy. Okay. Some of us take it very seriously. I, I love me eight movies. <laughs> I love, I adore them. I take Godzilla seriously. So, you know, we can, uh, <laughs> It's a whole other oh, thing. Oh, I, I love Godzilla too, myself. But yeah. we're not talking Godzilla. <laughs> I know, I know. But we're just, so. Okay, well, guys, let's let's see movies along then, please. Okay. Well, let's let's just say that about the eight movie. It's no moon. <laughs> Coming in at number four is the Death Star. Source: the original Star Wars trilogy. Description: a moon-sized. No, it's no moon. It's moon-sized space station with enough firepower to destroy a planet thanks to its giant super laser. Rumors that Emperor Palpatine was seriously under-endowed in the trousers department remain unconfirmed. Effective news reduces Alderaan to rubble, causing the deaths of around 2 billion people. Weakness. Sloppy design. Both versions afforded convenient access to the main reactor core for any rebel scum waiting, uh, wanting to destroy the <laughs> to, to spoil the Empire's fun. Uh, also, the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force, apparently. One thing I always wondered about the, the Death Star is, like, what if something was parked, like, in front of the, uh, you know, in front of the ray? Would it blast right through and continue on to its target, or would it stop right there? You know. Depends on the size of the, yeah. Something, say, the size of a moon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I go, yeah, well, what, if you, what if you just put something right at the, 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 the apex, you know, where all the lasers came out to meet? What if you parked something right there? Would it... Hmm. Interesting. Who knows? That would have been great if, if, if you know, they had a park Millennium Falcon there. Would have <laughs> destroyed uh, any hope of another movie, but hey, it would have been a fun <laughs> way out, right? i got to say, it's... it's, it's while its firepower is impressive, um, outmaneuvering it, great possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, we never actually see it, um, aside from it moving around in an orbit, we never see it actually moving from one place to another. You know, it's just said that it moved. Uh, we never see how quickly it moves. Does it, can it, is it possible of, you know, going to into hyperspace or warp or anything, you know. Oh, by the way, the Death Star well, is coming. Well, I guess it's about five weeks to evacuate the planet. All right. Well, it, it does go. move from it does move from Alderaan to Yavin. Which the distance is? Um, How many parsecs is that? <laughs> Darth may know the answer to that. I don't. Yeah, I, I, w- I would say the weakness of the, the this is that uh, you, you've only really got one setting blow the planet up. Uh, I mean, there's no point saying, you know, you pay the ransom or we blow you up. Once you've blown them up, not only you do not get the ransom, you've you've destroyed all the treasure on the planet, haven't you? Right. It's not as so you could get, then go and collect all the gold and the diamonds and what have you, because yeah. there's nothing but dust left. So, uh, unless... It would have been nice if they'd shown that... Um, although, I suppose they... We don't want... Uh, the gold and, and, and anything from the planet or the people from the planet. We want to teach these rebels a lesson. 
But so, they're not alive I'll, to learn the lesson, are they? That's the point. Yeah, they are. There's plenty. Of, it's it's the same um, 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 uh, tactics that the Israelis use with the, the Palestinians. Palestinian goes in, blows up a bus or whatever. Fine, we find out who that guy was, go to his family's house, Take the family out, blow up the oh, house. Oh, let's, yeah, well, let's keep it out of political things. But, I mean, the thing is that, um, you know, with the whole planet, it's not as though you can just sort of... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, an instance, and the thing I'm thinking probably here, uh, Rick Wall, is um, if you think of Enterprise, I think Jeff will know what I'm talking about without being too spoilery. Um, there's um, a race that, um, you know, cuts a swathe through part of Earth and kills couple of million people right. uh, with, with the next attack going to be all out obliteration yes so yeah you know I mean the point is you've got you, you've got you've given the people a chance to submit no it was the first one was a test it wasn't really a warning or anything it was actually just a test um, and, and they didn't care if we submitted or not they still in that case, not, the planet. maybe not, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't use it in that. Oh way. yeah, no, uh, no, but uh, you know, both weapons that we're talking about, and thank you for mentioning this. To me, uh, anybody here a spaceship Yamato fan? Yamato fan, I mean. Oh yes, that's that's uh, fabulous. Okay, the uh, the main gun. Fire it once, and then like 20 minutes later, you can fire it again. Yeah, the wave motion. That's gun. what I get from. You're right. That's what I get from the uh, uh, Death Star. You know, you got to re, re-energize it and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, Guest Eleven has put in the Death Star is a doomsday weapon, just like the Doomsday Machine from Star Trek. And then he adds, uh, "I loved Star Blazer as a kid." Yeah, I, I I find it ridiculous. That it, I mean, this is the number one deal. It's not even there's no question in my mind that it should be at the top of the list. And you know, it, it's fashionable now to sort of make snarky remarks about the um, you know the effectiveness of the weapon and and how easy it was to be destroyed. But it wasn't easy to be destroyed. I mean, let's not forget the. People, it would not have been possible to have destroyed the first Death Star without the Force. That's the entire point of the sequence. And they show time and time again, you know, people who were using conventional methods simply could not get to that one exhaust port. Um, and, and the only way that the thing was destroyed was because Luke turned off the targeting computers, trusted the Force, managed to get it in. Okay, that's that's the deal, and right. also re- re- required the help of Han Solo coming back out of nowhere to get Darth Vader off his ass. You know, so right. uh, it's it, it was by no means in any way easy. It was a very minor technical flaw that could be possibly exploited. They destroyed you know. practically a fleet doing it too. Kind of, yeah, and then and then you know, Death Star Two would have almost certainly. You got to think that that design flaw was. Um, you know, engineered out. Uh, and the reason that Death Star 2 gets destroyed is because a series of very unlikely things happens 
in order to uh, take down the shield that's around the Death Star. It's in construction, and because it's in construction, therefore you have access to the interior chambers of it. But it, in no way should it have ever been possible for uh, the Rebel fleet to have gotten inside the force field. That's the that's sort of the point of the whole exercise, right? You had to do a lot of different things in order to make the Death Star 2 fall down. Um, so, I, you know, I know it's fashionable. I know it's kind of fun language. If I was writing the article, maybe even I would have done something like what this author did. But let's be very clear that there was nothing dramatically easy or convenient in either of those situations. Both of them, you know, both the plots of Episode 4 and Episode 6 are um, tight enough that you understand it was very unlikely that the Death Star would have been destroyed. And it's such an uh, unbelievably powerful weapon that it took them, the first one, about 18 years to build. Yeah, well, that, now, that's a different story. Why? No, but... That, yeah, but... Yeah, but that... But that right, I mean, I mean right. that, maybe that's a new revelation, but it just shows that this is not easy to just pop one out of the cornfield right. and that why you know, Death Star 2 was still in construction and... Yeah all the myriad chances and arrogance and best laid plans, you know, they, they, you know, they didn't think upon, you know, what was going to happen there. I so, thought that start and, to quote unquote being in construction was also partially a ruse. Uh, well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by that. I mean, if you, if you mean within the, Oh, it's not finished. We don't can't. have anything to worry about. Oh, I think maybe maybe to the point of it that it was farther along than people expected. Right. Yeah, they made it seem like no, there's there's nothing to worry. It's just under construction, and also you know so they could get the rebels there, you know uh, that that they knew nothing could happen. But they were farther along, you know, than yeah. they let people uh, believe. It was you know like a, like a Trojan horse in a way. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's where the whole thing falls apart because who's ever heard of a construction crew being ahead of schedule? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> if you've got the Dark Lord of the Sith on your ass, you probably are a little bit ahead. Hey, 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 look, we're talking about the Empire where you can become a captain and then uh, you, you can be a captain one day and an admiral the next. So, <laughs> well, there's that. But I mean, you've also got don't forget significant slave labor in the empire. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and if you got slave labor, yeah, you're going to be on time. No, no, no. Here's a question. This could be for hours on this, but at, mm-hmm. at the end of Jedi, let's say that the Falcon does not get through, that they mm-hmm. do not target it, that it, that's never done. Mm. One could guesstimate that throwing the Emperor down that chute, that that whole act there uh, could have been a catalyst to break the shields and blow it up. I'm not saying that happened, but I mean, that that would have been an answer. You know, I mean, the, the whole what if, what if on, uh, you know, uh, Endor, they didn't get the shields down. What if, you know, the ship didn't get through? And what if everything played out as it played out? Wouldn't the whole disruption in the dark side 
death of emperor, etc. Wouldn't that have been another cause, you know, for perhaps its destruction? Because the um, the emperor was uh, thrown down the um, reactor chute, as, as I remember. Tell me if I'm wrong on that. And there seemed to be spirals of energy, etc. That might have made. Yeah, it, we don't really know what that was, but yeah. You know, I mean, it, it. I mean, it was written in the books that, like, almost an insanity went through. It was. It was. It's almost like at the end of Lord of the Rings, when after uh, Sauron falls, mm-hmm. all the dark magic seems to be dissipated from the land. Sure. That that might have been been a similar thing, but um, yeah, because that would have made almost unique to the act that they could not get through to the exhaust port again that that Lando fails and it's Anakin Skywalker's act on love for his son on that redemption that's what destroys them that's the whole thing because you know he that that uh, X conquers all that, yeah that that saves the day X conquers all that is true that is true <laughs> and again so, they having sex you, you don't you don't listen to the cold. Jedi Knights and you don't listen to the code and by not listening to the code that saved everyone. Yeah, exactly. Le- lesson learned. <laughs> my my only problem with the Death Star is the, the immense size of it and the <clears throat> seeming lack of maneuverability. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, you never see it moving at any great speed. Um, so you know, how it gets from planet to planet and how long it takes. You know, is never displayed. So I just, I, I tend to wonder, like, well, you know, if you know what's coming, how long do you have to escape? But then they'd probably send the shock troops out earlier to, maybe, maybe it'll, they'll follow you and your coordinates so you can't escape. There you go. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, but you're not really having an, an accurate impression of what the Empire is, though. Um, I think that the impression that you seem to have is that um, the galaxy is evenly divided. There are um, kind of as many rebel troops as there are uh, empire. And so therefore, you know, the, the egress or the transport of the Death Star is going to naturally encounter a lot of nest of uh, rebel forces. And that's not at all true. I mean, they're, they're, they're pikers. Well, I mean, when you see in Return of the Jedi the rebel forces, that is it. There's nothing beyond that. Yeah. That is the entire force of the rebels. So therefore, the the speed of the Death Star, I'm sure that there are people who've calculated it or in some way uh, gotten it together. Whether that's G-level canon or not is another matter, but I'm sure at sort of C-level canon you can find that. But it, it doesn't matter in a sense how slow it moves because they own... They own the airways, right? Or the space lanes or whatever. Um, I'm sure it does probably have some sort of hyperspace um, capability. Otherwise, there's not much point to it because the the avowed aim of the thing is to strike fear into the hearts of the rebels. The only way you're going to strike that is if you can go from place to place around the galaxy. If you can go from you know, the inner rim to the outer rim, you know, and show up on somebody's doorstep and say, hey, do what I'm saying or I'm going to blow your planet out of the damn water. If you can't do that, what's the point of it? 
So right. that's, that's, that's the yeah. thing is, and that's what I'm getting at is like, if you know that, like, well, we found out that they we're being targeted by the Empire and they're sending the Death Star, it's going to be here in three months. Let's move, you know. Um, but if it can show up, you know, in two hours, then you've got a problem and it becomes more fearsome. But if it takes, I, I, you know, forever yeah, to get forever to wherever get it's going, it, it, it's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm about to be run over by a steamroller, you know. <laughs> right. But, I mean, you, <laughs> no. the other thing you got to think is the Emperor's not going to tell you that he's coming right. with but, the Death I mean, Star. Say if, you know, the Rebels found out that the next target was X, you know. Whatever. Uh-huh. But but that's, yeah. that's what I'm saying is it's just, you know, because you never see it on the screen, it always leaves me wondering how quickly it gets from point A mm. to point B. It's never really kind of tackled and... To me, that adds more menace if it's able to turn up on your doorstep and go, Death Star here. Crap. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, uh, it's inferred it went from Alderaan to Yavin in the space of the first movie. And we know that the first movie happened within a few days. The entirety of, of episode four happens in a few days. Uh, how far apart are they? I don't know. But they're not in the same exactly. system. No, but they're not in the same system. I mean, I can look it up. I'm sure. I'm sure it's easy to figure. Uh, but it's not. It's not at all the same system. Um, so, well, wait. Let's see. Um, okay. Okay. Here we go. From from this is from a this is from the force.net, which is a good source for this kind of thing. The the. Uh, Hyperdrives were at least fast enough to allow Death Star 1 to tr- to arrive at Yavin from Alderaan system within a day after uh, the Millennium Falcon arrives there. Because Vader says this will be a day long remembered. It has seen the end of Kenobi. It will see the end of the Rebellion. So he's moved from Alderaan to there in, in the space of just one day. Uh, and, and not even a whole day. It's just a few hours on that day. Uh, so fair clip along. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think I think it has to have hyperdrive. It has to, or else there's no real point to the damn thing. Right. Um, and then where does it start out at? It start construction starts at where is it in Revenge of the Sith? It is. It's not at Alderaan when they make it. No. Obviously, they're gonna make it on the the doorstep of the senator that is opposed to. You know, I'm not gonna go do that. Um, yeah, mind if we do a whole construction project? Sure, go yeah. for it. Yeah, what yeah. Is it, go, go for it. You'll find it. Yeah. Surprise. Some secret yeah, place. Like, like, Jim, like Jimmy Smith is going to take that land down. I mean, it's not going to happen, you know. Hey, you know what? Uh, it looks just like a moon. Oh, it's no moon. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Uh, but, I, I don't, you know, it's got to move around at a fair clip. And, uh, you know, it's there are all sorts of little tricks that I'm sure can happen. Like, I'm sure that the Emperor can cloak it with the dark side if he wants to. Um, you know, it, it's going to show up where it's going to show up, and uh, just instill fear. If mm. if I can intervene, I just saw mm. this on Yahoo News. Disney mm. Chief reveals Star Wars Seven casting almost complete says film is already shooting. Neat. Yeah, the shooting what? I don't think it's principal photography yet. It's probably. Or the model work or something like that. We'll see. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, we should probably move on to something I think is a little more portable. 
Um, it may be a little more threatening. Who knows? It's a trilithium warhead. Source, Star Trek Generations. Description. A trilithium-containing missile belonging to evil scientist Dr. Uh, Tolian Soren. Uh, the trilithium acts as a nuclear inhibitor, stopping all nuclear fusion within a star. The result? Supernovas on demand! Effectiveness destroyed two stars, annihilating their entire planetary systems and killing 230 million people on Viridian. Uh, the, if only could, someone could make the memory of Captain Kirk's utterly underwhelming death implode. Uh, weakness blew up in Soren's face when Captain Picard set the locking clips uh, to remain engaged as the missile tried to launch the scamp. <laughs> you see, this, this thing can, like, take out a system. I mean, Viger was more Number of a than that thing. But again, um, slow moving. Uh, hang on a minute. Do we have a, a clip for that one, Ian? Um, no. Uh, I don't believe so. No. Yep. That's right. All right. Number two. The moment. Source, Doctor Who, the day of the Doctor. Description, a Time Lord Doomsday weapon so powerful they were afraid they were too afraid to use it. The final creation of the Ancients of Gallifrey. The moment is theoretically capable of trapping whole galaxies in a single moment in time. Effectiveness, the Doctor initially believed he had used the moment to wipe out the Daleks and his own race. However, this was later proven to be false. Weakness, the moment is so sophisticated it has a telepathic interface capable of deciding whether it, it will allow itself to be used. We suspect wireless <laughs> routers contain the same technology. <laughs> I say pants to the moment. I mean, we have, we have, we have no idea what this thing does. No idea. Yeah. Um, Theoretically, well, it's so powerful. Never been used. We don't know. No. <laughs> it could just be a, wi- a Wi-Fi router. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, one thing about these weapons is a bit of a law of diminishing returns here, isn't it? Because the more powerful they make it, you know, all that effort, you can only use it once. <laughs> That's the whole idea of a weapon of mass destruction, though, David. Well, I realise that, but it's self-defeating in a way. I mean, we're going back to the, you know, the file in the, uh, uh, you know, uh, to hold in my hands a file that could wipe out all life. The, re- uh, you know, or the reality bomb. Uh, in another case, um, the, 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 they're almost so powerful that nobody wins. But um, I was a little bit quiet before because I was trying to find a clip from. Uh, we did episode uh, two thirty-one, which was our review of uh, the day of the Doctor, but. Uh, I was tr- having difficulty trying to play the different clips to find out the bit uh, where it gets talked about because, of course, the device is uh, realised in terms of uh, its interface with uh, the, the with the ca- well a character that looks like Rose, doesn't it? But the moment is 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 visualised like that, so it's difficult to actually play a clip for that one. But yeah, a very very big weapon, of course. Um, what happens Apparently. if you change your mind? <laughs> mm-hmm. You've got to undo Apparently, it, haven't you? It's a big weapon. 
Right. Again, it's one of those things that you never see it in action, so how utterly devastating is it? You know. Right. But I mean, it's ele- an elegant weapon. It's an elegant <laughs> weapon, a weapon that gives you a, that has a conscience going along with mm-hmm. it. I mean, is it a cool weapon? It is kind of because it has that kind of interface that says, "Do you really have the right to do this? Do you really know what you're doing?" So, uh, you know, um, kind of in a way prevents you know evil usage um, and, and makes you you think on it and presents you with options. That, uh, in a way, is, is kind of a cool idea. How do you, how do you argue the morals to something that really shouldn't have any? That's the difficult part. Yeah. <laughs> There's the challenge. Yeah, really, a weapon of that sort would self-destruct, wouldn't it? It couldn't live with itself. <laughs> Well, you'd think it would, okay. it would have trouble living with itself after looking like Billy Piper. Oh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> okay, should we move on? Jeff, do you want to read about the Risen Mitten? So, oh, sorry, it's the wrong one. <laughs> the what? The, in- but the, gauntlet. <laughs> the Infinity Gauntlet, number one on the list. Source, Marvel's The Infinity Gauntlet, living in limited comic book series. The description, Titanian, eternal Thanos, I guess, left glove embedded with the six infinity gems, each of which gives its owner total control over one aspect of the multiverse. When combined, the six gems make the bearer basically omnipotent. Effectiveness, Thanos uses the gauntlet to wipe out half the Thanos. life. Thanos, thank you uses the gauntlet to wipe out half the sentient life in the universe just to impress a girl. We have gone with we'd have gone with flowers. Weaknesses. Thanos becomes so powerful he abandons his body and becomes the living embodiment of the universe. His supposed granddaughter, Nebula, then steals the gauntlet and instantly undoes all of Thanos' hard work. Well it's an incredible okay, weapon and it's an incredible okay. villain. And it wasn't any girl either. It was death. Yeah. Uh, and, and but, she, but, it, but it's personified as a a female form when it shows. Yeah, but no, it, it, you know, in in the thing, it just said a girl. Oh no! That, like she's not important. That's that's Jim Starlin's sense of humor, yeah. um, doing it. But the only reason this is here is because it's going to be important in the upcoming Marvel movies. Maybe for the uh, next six years or so, you know. I, I think beginning with Guardians of the Galaxy and going on to not the next Avengers film, but the one after that. And I don't know if everyone knows, but Thanos was shown briefly at the end of the Avengers uh, with his wicked grin, and um, he is a uh, creation of Jim Starlin. Uh, as an homage to Jack Kirby and his new gods, he's kind of like Jim Starlin's version of uh, Dark Side. Of Dark Side. Yeah. So this wonderful epic creation of Jack Kirby, the, the new gods, um, his fourth world. And um, you know, it started, 
in an issue of Iron Man, then breached out into um, Warlock and in Captain Marvel and into the Avengers and his old series. Um, really recommended, and it, he's he's a great great character. One of I think the the best new Marvel villains, um, I would say, uh, Bronze Age villains, um, going back to maybe the greatness of like Doctor Doom and some of these. He's a really neat creation, and an, an homage to uh, the the unbelievably brilliant Jack Kirby. Enough cannot be said about that man. There's a new age in comics now. The bronze, I know about the gold and the silver. Well, I, I think bronze was after that. That was yeah. Bronze would be like. And I owned a comic book store, and I've been collecting for th- yeah forty years. Gold is the forties. Gold is the forties. Silver is roughly the sixties. Bronze is roughly the seventies. Yeah, that would be with Kill Price. Raven, Starlin, Black Panther. Tomb of Dracula, okay. that mm-hmm. stuff. Well, Come on, Rick Wallace, you, you should be happier today. It's your birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, bro. Well, why? I'm not, well, I'm not angry. No, you're a bit grumpy. No, I, said, no, I didn't say it was a happy birthday. We both ran comic book stores. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so when I always hear that in your voice, uh, the shared love of comics. When you hear that, yeah. so. um, but uh, no, you know, uh, um, uh, that's why I said, you know, it, it, you know that that line about just to impress a girl. You know, it wasn't any girl. It was, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, um, of course she uh, she wasn't too impressed by it though. <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, you know, I I thought that this was a great creation by Starlin. Uh, I it scared me to death when Thanos got all six of them, and I was like, okay, now what's going to happen? This can't get any worse, and it does. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the reasons again, I haven't commented much on this one because uh, the the goal has been used uh, uh, that piece of equipment with with extra properties or weapon properties is being used in a lot. And I was trying to think of another one. I mean, obviously, I mentioned jokingly the Risen Mitten from uh, uh, where they were having an argument over the name, was it, um, in uh, Smallville. Uh, it was also, a, and, and again, I can't find out whether it was in Angel or um, um, Buffy, where, but there's a point where um, there's this glove that this um, person who is a watcher who, who uh, a female watch who comes and uh, she's after this gauntlet that she puts on her hand and uh, that has clamps on it so once you put it on your arm you can't take it off. Uh, but there's also um, what was the other series that was of um, the girl that has uh, a gauntlet that she puts on and again I'm trying to remember the name of the actress. And by image, like, dark. I'm forgetting. Oh, geez. stalker or something. Witch stalker or something. Dark child. Um, it's an image comic. It's an image comic. Uh, oh no no no! This is what I'm thinking of. It's a oh, TV well, series. Witch Blade. The witch witch blade. Witch blade. Yes. Thank you, Rick Wall. Uh, yeah, witch blade. She has a a gauntlet that is her her weapon, a power source, isn't it? Yeah. 
I mean, it's actually a um, a, a bracelet. It's it turns into a gauntlet, but it ninety percent of the time stays as a bracelet uh, and uh, becomes armor. Uh, but um, yeah, you're basically right. Have a look which blade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, well, well, actually. Uh, I'm thinking more the TV show it was a bracelet. I believe in the comic it was a it was a gauntlet. I'm not sure now. I forget off the top of my head. Yeah, the there's the image of, on the uh, Wikipedia for Witchblade, and it looks uh, it looks remarkably sim- similar because um, it has those same sort of uh, emeralds and diamonds in you know on the knuckle area. And I get to um, uh, apologize. It's that time. Hellhound's here and wants out. I don't know if you guys kind of heard her slightly moaning. <laughs> do, do you have a, a, a number one weapon that you would have put at the top of any of these lists that hasn't already been mentioned before you go? Um, uh, let's see. Really big. Uh, yeah, how about the uh, uh, um, uh, good old Star Trek Any any Generation or Series Phaser? Um, they don't, uh, well, there's one list that does mention them, uh, but uh, this one hasn't. You know, I, if, if it's claiming to be the top ten, I don't understand why something as basic as that is missing, at least in my opinion. Uh, let's see, any other weapons, big weapons? Uh, not really. Well, everything else me, is uh, kind of covered. Right. Um, I'm sure we've got a, a clip for that. Let's just play a little clip. This is a, a phaser overload bit. This is the cap. Double red alert. Good heavens. Uh, that noise really gets you, doesn't it? Um, Walls had to drop off there, but um, that was showing the sheer power of it because um, uh, we had a couple of episodes in the... Was it Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, they actually put a, a phaser on overload on purpose to um, t- to get reading. That was the one where they were sweeping the, uh, the ship um, with some things and... Uh, Again, Geordie and another character were invisible. They thought they'd uh, been lost. Mm. 
Okay, have we got to the end of that 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 first list? Yes. Well, I we think have. that's that's at least sort of set us in the the mold. So, hopefully, quicker than that, we'll go through the second list. Uh, but again, um, some if we get to one in the list that is uh, one we've already covered, we'll simply uh, step over it. So we're on the Den of Geek. Denogeek.com, top coolest, top ten coolest weapons in sci-fi cinema, Um, and um, they're not numbered. Ian, what will they do? They're not numbered. Not numbered. No. Should we start at the top? Should we start near the top? Yeah, start at the top. Yeah, in no particular order these are, and I'm guessing they, they, they. They've copped out of rating them from one to ten or whatever. So, well, uh, let's put. Let, I won't read all the bl- the bombs at the beginning, but um, uh, the Atat uh, Star Wars. There's no shortage of cool weaponry in Star Wars franchise, from the lightsaber to the Empire planet's nobbling Death Star. Undoubtedly, the coolest weapon anywhere in the series, for my money, is definitely the Atat. Before I saw Empire Strikes Back, I spent much of my spare time as young, so waving a plastic tube around and pretending I was Luke Skywalker. But then, uh, but when at the age of about five or six, I saw the first Empire's four-legged attack vehicles trudging across the icy waste of Hoth, it was love at first sight. Um, I don't want to read all that. I think we've got the thing, and um, Matthew, my son Matthew had one of these, uh, and we had to build it. He, he was really into all this kind of gear. Um, so, yeah. I get, I get to say really? that, it, it, I mean, I agree with one part that, that, that they're, they're an extremely recognizable you know, vehicle slash weapon, but ungainly, easily toppled. Um, oh, that was the weakness, definitely. military vehicle on legs. Right. It's like a, it's like a, I guess the an updated version of the Trojan horse. I'm assuming it can carry quite a, quite a large amount of troop uh, complement in 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 the back end there. Well, I would think it was a, a, an updated version of Hannibal and his can uh, and his elephants. There you go. That's a good one. Basically, anybody else on anybody else on an at at? Um, I mean, literally. <laughs> One of the coolest weapons ever on screen or imagined. I mean, that that in, incredible sequence. And yeah, to be f- sorry. To be fair, this list does say coolest, not necessarily the most powerful weapons. Yeah, but cool, coolest is, is a lot more fun, I think, than more powerful for a lot of things. Oh, yeah, they're cool. I've, and they've, they've, they've managed to last as, as an image, but I still say they're a bit pants because they fall And you watch. <laughs> And Dave, something you said is, is so apt. You watch Return of the King, and you see Legolas, and what are those elephants? What's he doing? It's it's like Luke with the Adat. It is. Wow. In fairness, I think Tolkien actually wrote that first. No, I know that, but it it, it, it invokes the imagery, and you can yeah. laugh at that and go boom. I'm not I'm not saying there was any copying at all. I'm right. saying it's it's kind of like some Jungian thing, like. Wow, 
that that I'm sure when they did that scene and he's doing the arrows up and going up the way, there it it uh, it has the same vibe. Yeah, so I I think that was just uh, so amazing in that. Yeah, I think and one of the things that is particularly cool about the ad ad, it's not really. Uh, I mean, they say here Star Wars. I mean, obviously they mean Empire Strikes Back, and and that's an important distinction because uh, there have been, uh, well, there are ad-ads after that. There are ad-ads in Return of the Jedi, or at least the, what is it, A-T-A-Y, I think, that are the smaller ones. I can't quite remember. Um, A-T-S-T. A-T-S-T, yeah, thank you, that are the smaller ones. Um, And you see some of the progenitors in... Well, at least Clone Wars. I don't know if you see it in... Do you see it in Return of the Jedi? I mean, Revenge? I can't remember. But anyway, um, it, it the coolness is particularly that it's on Hoth, I think. And, and one of the reasons that's cool is because there was nothing like this at all, ever, in the history of cinema. Because before this, if you had a special effect, it was always done on a black screen, you know, because you're going to be representing a space battle or something like that might have been possibly against you know the blue of a sky maybe but it certainly wasn't something that was gunmetal gray on a white background that's hard to pull off and i think even as a kid you're watching this thing you know that you have never seen anything like that. You might not know exactly what it is that's different, but what's different is is you know white background, which shows everything. You know, if in terms of a uh, you know cutting it out and layering up the film, it's got to be done really really well. And although you know improvements have since been made to that sequence in the special editions, that I think are really good improvements, and I'm glad they made them. The original footage is still damned impressive uh and it, the the cool factor definitely has to do with how it was done and i i can quite remember there being uh behind the scenes documentaries kind of at the time on uh well not you know, at the time maybe it was a little bit later in pbs maybe it was in the mid 80s now that i'm thinking about it i guess but anyway just a, a really cool sequence because of how hard it was to do Right. Jeff, do you want to mention any on this one? And if and when you finish, would you like to read the next one? I'll assume that uh, Jeff has just had to step away. Ian, do you want to move us on? Certainly. Move along. Move along. <laughs> All right. Uh, phased plasma rifle in the 40 watt range. The Terminator! Thanks to some superb camera work, editing, and sound effects, the weapons seen in the Terminator's future sequences packed a gut wrenching punch that was light years away from the pew pew lasers of yesteryear. Uh, as he demonstrated in Aliens, James Cameron has a particular way of giving his fanciful ordnance real substance and weight. And the future he depicts. In 1984's The Terminator is genuinely the stuff of nightmares. I'm not even familiar with this weapon, but hey. Yeah. It was briefly shown in the future sequences. Ah. 
when the, like the pulse pulses going off, the laser pulses against the uh, Terminators walking. So I mean, it's something that it's o- it's only shown uh, at the uh, the future sense uh, clips in the film, in the beginning and in interspersed uh, in the flashbacks or flash forwards actually in the movie. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, if you're going to pick from the Terminator, I mean, you've got to think, actually, um, I don't know if you're going to go to all the way up to Terminator Salvation, you're actually going to talk about some of the the uh, the actual weapons, the actual machines themselves, haven't you? I mean, some of those were terrifying. Like, if you think of the... Um, there's, one t- there's one where um, they're hiding in this sort of run-down... Uh, shack a petrol station and then this giant walking thing comes towards them and burns them out and then these like motorbike weapons come out of the leg uh, you know it's a little bit of a transformer type of thing that mm. they're doing there but I mean that was much more impressive to me and I like I mean some people might not think Terminator Salvation fits in with the the uh, the earlier ones but apart from the fact that it, I was a bit annoyed because on Blu-ray it's a very, gra- I mean, they did a very grainy look to it. They made it look grainy for, I don't know, grittiness, whatever it was. Well, I always feels that, but I bought a Blu-ray player and a nice TV, and then they go and put a false grain into the picture, which annoys me somewhat. But I, I, I as a story, I, I thought that was really good. Okay, any any more comments on that or any other aspect that may well have been picked out of uh, Terminator franchise? I mean, most people will probably remember Arnold Schwarzenegger wielding a gun and shooting at the uh, the helicopters and the police cars. I uh, imagine that's what most people would uh, think of. I mean, or is Sarah Connor was Terminator itself a Again, Isn't the Terminator Ian? itself a better weapon? Isn't the Terminator itself a better weapon? Oh, yeah, yeah, in a sense. It's a weapon using weapons, isn't it? I mean, they, you know, they were designed to be weapons, so aren't they actually cooler? And the, the, the one in Terminator 2 is even better. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first time I saw that sequence where, you know, it got melted and then... Uh, it, it re it reformed and then walked through the flames. Brilliant! And then there's, mm. uh, the policeman's uniform came on the outside, and the actor that depicted that really had this panther-like movement and mm. predatory face. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, absolutely ideal for the part. I apologize, I overlapped. I, w- I was agreeing with that. There's there's no better uh, weapon from those movies than just you know. The original Terminator right. or the or the T one thousand from Terminator two. Okay, right. well I think I need to move us on. I've got a clip mm-hmm. for the next one, uh, Ian. Uh, it's a very short clip, so I'll just play it first and then we can read it. What can I do to make your lunch more pleasant? I found this in my soup, and I'm very upset. It's the bone gun. Existence. 
Only her mind is playfully warped to come up with a weapon as surreal and psychological button-pushing as this piece of os- osseous ordinance from the 1997 existence. And the fact that the film's set in a virtual video game world almost indistinguishable from the real thing gives Cronenberg's imagination free reign. But where on earth did he get the idea for a gun made of bone that fires teeth as bullets? The mind boggles. The bone gun is unforgettable. His unexpected power hideous. I don't think that's Jude Law welding it, isn't it? Wielding it. Yeah. From the picture. Yeah, and it's Jude Law, Law that. Uh, I've seen this. I've got, I think I've got this film on DVD, but it's, it's years since I've watched it. Um, but um, when I watched the little video of that clip, um, it just seemed rather, you know, when you've got sort of... Uh, and Jude Law. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's actually quite a cult following that film. I can't say that I've ever actually heard of it. Okay. Are you back with us, Jeff? Yeah, I am back. <clears throat> uh, are you feeling up to... Uh, is there anything you've missed out on commenting on? And if not, would you read us no. number, the next one, Sol from Akira? Uh, I'll do that. I didn't have any other comments. And boy, you're giving me a hard one here. <laughs> don't, don't read your soul. Don't read your soul. <laughs> the soul by, uh, from Akira. The killer satellite and all killer satellites. The awe-inspiring widescreen description. Boy, Ugh. I'm having trouble talking. The awe-inspiring widescreen dis- destruction seen near the conclusion of Katsuhiro's classic 1988 animated feature, Akira, is punctuated by a blast from the soul. Yeah, blame Mike. I would have asked him to read this one, but unfortunately he did drop off audio. Jump to the end of it, then. Okay, a Hollywood remake of Akira has been in the offing for several years now. Even with the power of modern computers at 21st century filmmakers' fingertips, I fail to see how they'll be able to replicate an explosive sequence as remarkable as this one, or portray the overwhelming power of the soul as masterfully as Otomo's managed it. So again, uh, Mike would probably be the one that would have uh, been able to sort of do that. that. That's, I think, one of the first anime films, maybe one of the few and only anime films I've ever watched. Uh, isn't it where the hero is, goes around on a motorbike? I think that's the I think that's the correct yes. one. Yes, yes, indeed. Ah, Ken, do you can you comment on this film and the weapon? Uh, visually, in an incredible dystopian cyberpunk uh, aspect future uh, devastation. Um, the movie is going to be unbelievably expensive if they try and match the visuals of the animation. I mean, this was kind of late night midnight screen viewing for anime fans uh it uh, was all the rage you know uh, back in the 80s you know when it first came out and um they had a uh, corresponding comic book and um that that's just one of the aspects of it you know but i think when people think of uh akira even more they'll they'll think of the motorbike aspect of it and just the the very cool futuristic cars and road waves 
that's um, very, I don't know if it's on this list, but the very, very Blade Runner um, tone, that, that that aspect of the future. And that's, you know, which... Okay. Well, again, I'm going to move us on unless anybody wants to speak. The next one I have got a clip for, this is the M41A pulse rifle from Aliens. Not particularly brilliant clip, but we'll play it. See, that's what you call a gun. It makes a noise and things die. Uh, a <laughs> bit, bit, bit straightforward, but there you go. Uh, so, after a largely free, uh, weapon-free alien, James Cameron packed his film with a gigantic arsenal of military hardware in the 1986 sequel, Aliens, switching genres from predatory horror to gung-ho war film. Cameron, therefore, builds tension not via the haunted house atmosphere as director Ridley Scott had done in his predecessor, but by demonstrating just how hopeless the human's weapons are in the face of an enemy that is fearless and seemingly infinite in number. Right, I'm going to stop there because that reminds me of um, the um, uh, the one where we're fighting against the ants, um, uh, Starship Trooper. As soon as I read that description, uh, it reminded me, not not the film, it's different, a whole different complex look at the film, but in there, the, you know, Basically, you need a weapon where it's you and 10,000 creatures coming over the hill, uh, which is a slightly different scenario. You know, the one-on-one are one indestructible thing. So um, have we got a fan of the Aliens franchise in the room that wants to speak? Most definitely. Uh, They had a pulse rifle in the first Alien. Uh, Cameron amped it up in Aliens. I don't think anyone does real-world futuristic military tech as well as Cameron. Um, from the kind of Mecha Walker um, aspect in Aliens that uh, Ripley uses against the Queen, to the Pulse Rifles, to the uh, dropship, which is reminiscent of Starship Troopers' uh, dropships, and, and, and it, it evokes the feeling of that. Um, you can, uh, you know, even an avatar kind of, uh, there seems to be a shared universe uh, yeah. feel in uh, James Cameron films, mm. you know. And, um, you know, this is one of, I think, the prized models that fans like to get, that they'll want to get one of these, uh, you know, on on their own, you know. So, um, just... Well, in the a- in the a- yeah, in the alien one, it wasn't a weapon that Ripley used. Uh, it was actually a stacker, wasn't it, of some sort? It was an actual industrial thing, and she got inside it and used it as a weapon. But then, as you say, right. in in the Cameron film later, no, but that, in, that, that, is, that is the Cameron, that that is the Cameron film. When, when What's the the one where yeah. she's in the stacker? That is the aliens. That's aliens, yeah. Yeah. So this is. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the very same film that he'll have all of that going on. Right. Uh, and then I was thinking of the one in um, 
in Avatar where, you know, the, the sergeant, where he's actually in a specifically military one, rather than the other one I thought was more of an actual, yeah, that was, was like, actually to load stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Power it was ro- the, a power loader, but yeah. his was like a military vehicle, you know, uh, kind of kind of like Aug- a, augmented a battle exoskeleton. Yeah, yeah. You know, so to speak. But um he he's he's great at visualizing that. Um you know, you know, he my my thought when I first saw aliens uh was Sergeant Fury in space. Yeah. Um, he he does a great job with that. Great job. Oh, and I agree with you about um, Terminator Salvation. That was oh, really right. really well done film. It was it was the third. It was the Rise of the Machines one I didn't care for. The um, that film, but the the right. the, the uh, with the with the firma, female Terminator and the uh, <coughs> there was a big scene apparently in that that um, where where Arnie's on. Um, Oh, the, the original Terminator is in a, a tow truck or something uh, right. being chased uh, and he wanted to do a big demolishing scene and the, the movie people said they couldn't afford it and and the story that went around at the time, whether it's true or not, is that Ar- uh, Arnie stumped up the money himself because he wanted that <laughs> scene in. That's funny. But but the, um, the Christian Bale, Sam Worthing, Worthington, uh, performance. Worthington was, was great in that, I thought, in uh, in Salvation. Right. I just noticed Mike's come back in the room. We we missed you, Mike. We were doing Akira a little while ago, so you can come on audio. We'll give you time to mention that. Ian, do you want to do another? I haven't asked Darth yet whether he's okay with reading one of these out. I don't know whether he wants to read ahead and see if there's anyone he'd like to pick out. On this page, I'll put the page back in. Do you want to do the next one while the, uh, Ian, while Darth has a check? Sure. I'm going to try and be brief on some of these because we do have. You know, yeah, don't read it. Don't read it all. Oh, 25 yeah. uh, coming up after this, and um, oh, oh. basically it's the, the Tesla ride from, from District Nine. Critics seem uh, divided over whether the second half of Neil Blomkamp's uh, District Nine is a disappointing descent into mindless violence after such an uh, intelligent build-up. Or whether it's just a natural release of narrative energy following the, you know, anyway, it's a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ridiculously powerful piece of ordnance that may look as if it's been coupled together from leftover minor cycle parts, but it's capable of blowing people to smithereens with a chuckle-inducing effect. It is a, a, a I think, a, a, an interesting. I, I do have to watch District Nine again because when I did watch it. Um, I was uh, very ill at the time, that uh, did not want to go to sleep, so ended up watching this. That uh, it's an impressive looking device, I gotta say. Yeah, we should say that if, if people check out these lists, um, this is the Den of Geek list we're still on at the moment. There are little images to each one. Right. And if you just look up the, the District District Nine Tesla gun, you'll you'll see some very nice detailed pictures of it. And it is, I think, a, a neat looking gun. 
Yeah. Uh, I must admit, when I was trying to get little clips for this show, um, you go on YouTube and you put these, the name of these guns in, and most of the uh, the YouTube videos were actually people who are you know building models and them are talking about you know the uh, how they're constructed and the theory behind them rather than actually a scene of them being you know uh, used in the actual film and of course as you heard from that one I did from the alien basically they make a lot of noise and kill a lot of things so for that reason I skipped over them but this gun uh, you really had to pay a price to use it and that's the whole fascinating thing about it. You, uh, it only works on alien technology. Yep. And uh, what happens to Winkus is the whole fascinating uh, journey in the film. It's a great film. And, um, you know, it, it it's kind of uplifting because it's, you know, I mean, it's, He's saving himself and, and others doing it. It's just the thing to go after a insanely violent South African warlord with uh, having this Tesla rifle. But uh, okay. Well, I think Ian's right. We'll have to move on. I'm, I'm going to just mention, uh, uh, Darth, if you'd be willing to go to to read the Phaser one when we get to it. Just prior to that, though, we've got the ZX35 rocket pistol from Buck Rogers, the sci-fi gun that became a template for all directed energy handguns that followed. Buck Rogers' uh, XZ-35 rocket pistol launched a thousand different alliterations and spin-off toys. For several generals, generations of children, the ray gun replaced the, tish, the traditional cowboy six-shooter as the playground weapon of choice. Based on the German Mauser C-96 pistol, uh, the XZ-35 later influenced the design of Han Solo's DL-44 blaster in Star Wars. It was the XL-35 and the toys that came after it that remain iconic designs. However, in the next time you fire a zappy laser gun in a video game, you have the creators of Buck Rogers to thank. And again, this uh, a nice illustration there. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, ray guns. It was all ray guns, wasn't it? That rather than lasers are sonic devices. Uh, ray, anything with rays in it was the thing, x-rays and so on and so forth. Okay, no comments? Yep. Okay, Darth, uh, I don't know if you uh, are still with your computer, would you be willing to read the next one, the phase of Star Trek for us? The standard issue firearm of the Star Trek franchise, the phaser is surely the Swiss army knife of sci-fi. It can be used to stun or kill things, or as a blowtorch, or to cut through walls or even rocks. Set phasers to stun became one of the original series' most familiar catchphrases, and while the phaser passed through numerous subtle iterations over the numerous series and movies, its distinctive silhouette remains the same, which is crap, but that's what they said in this article. Right. Uh, I mean, I already played a clip about one on Overload, but uh, they, yeah, it's they really changed a lot. They've changed a hell of a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, part, part of the thing is you've got to define what you mean by a phaser. Um, I think, you know, in this picture here, you've got 
What is that? That's the uh, Picard. What? Next generation. Well, yeah, it's Picard. One. It's Picard, but I'm trying to figure. It's not even next gen. It's you know that's from like it, Nemesis. Oh, Insurre- like Insurrection. Insurrection. Yes, yeah, Insurrection. Insurrection. Yeah. Ooh, I got it right. Yeah. But like even in the original series, I mean, there were two phasers, right? There's the little sort of. I don't know what you'd call it. The button one, yeah, I guess. The garage door opener one. And then there's the and then there's the actual um pistol thing, right? Uh and I, you know, they had that a little bit at the beginning, I guess, of next gen, but that gradually got combined more or less into a single unit that is more like what Picard is holding here, and that's what it became in, you know, uh, later next gen and certainly Deep Space Nine and Voyager and stuff. And then of course you've got, you know, the phasers that are in uh, Enterprise and they're a little bit closer to the um original series ones as you'd expect, although, you know, the f- design on Enterprise is always kind of funky because it looks better than really what the original series did, but yet it is still trying to pay some kind of homage to the original series. And then and then you've got, you know, the the thing that is um, sort of what separates, I guess, uh, next gen, the whole Rick Berman world from the Roddenberry world, and that's the um, like phaser rifle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that really never existed in the original series. I, I don't think it did. I can't think of an instance where they had anything stronger than a phaser most of the time in the original series, they're just doing the garage door opener one, right? They're not even busting out the big one. Um, but the phaser rifle became an important thing, obviously, as you as you get into, especially the Dominion War, but, but you know, some aspects of Voyager, too, you know. And and the series, the movie series, I mean, it, it, the phaser rifle is absolutely integral to first contact, right? Um so it's it's weird. I, I really don't well, think that the ship had it. Would you class the fact that the ship had its own phaser as well? I mean, well, that's the, the thing. That, the, yeah, I mean, the technology runs the gamut, you know. And then you have yeah. these cannons too at, at some level. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got that technology replicated in a variety of different sizes. But because of that, it's really not like what this article says of being something that was only subtly redesigned. It was pretty grossly redesigned, I would have thought. Um, but whatever. It's still important. Yeah, Guest 11 has put in that the, there was a phaser rifle in the original pilot, the cage in Star Trek. <laughs> That's the one where they're firing yeah. at the rocks. You're right. But I mean, that, that doesn't count. <laughs> it wasn't broadcast. Uh, and, you know, maybe it counts, I guess, if you're going to talk menagerie. But it was never after that. I mean, that that is an artifact of the original pilot. It's not um, really what they intended. I don't think. If you take a yeah. look at that page, uh, Darth, they're showing a Type Three phaser, which is the phaser rifle from the original series. Oh, okay. And, and no, but, next gen. It, it shows a picture of Kirk holding a phaser rifle. Hmm. But it's probably not. Well, all right. Uh, it, where is it? Where is he? Yeah, the picture on the left-hand side, the third image down. Yeah, but that's... This I is, mean, that's... Uh, 
I don't know if I can. I mean, that's where No Man Has Gone before. I mean, that's like really early in production history. And yeah, you know, for the purposes of writing an article at Memory Alpha, sure, fine, whatever. But honestly, that didn't survive past even the midway point of Series 1. I don't know. I don't know if I can count that so much. But the point is, it, it, it's a class of. Uh, I suppose they're all the same class of weapons. It's it's what spouts out the end. That they're all using the same technology. Yeah, it's for so. You can even heat yep. rocks and keep you alive in a cave. Yeah, apparently so. And you can invert them and turn them in, uh, invert their power source or whatever and turn them into bombs. Uh, what else can you do? You can do a lot of things with them. Okay, anybody else want to... Thank you for that, Darth. Anybody else want to comment on, on this particular one before we move along? We did just mention it prior because of uh, Rick Wall wanted... It was Rick Wall's uh, choice of... He would have put that at the top, so uh, we discussed it a little bit before. Ian, do you want to move us on? Yeah, but just before... Uh, the phaser, great, but it became kind of like the sonic screwdriver. could do just about everybody thing. But anyway, uh, the Auto 9 from Robocop, uh, capable of, of uh, firing what appears to be several dozen rounds per second, the Auto 9, as it was called in the film script, made a horrendous mess of paper targets and bad guys alike. Apparently based on the real-world Beretta uh, M93R, the gun was modified to look uh, bulkier and more substantial in Robocop's metallic hands. That's the right. one he, he, and then he of course, in, his, in his thighs, right? Just, you know, yeah. That was the well, cool thing about it. <laughs> well, you could argue, of course, with the Robocop, the, the next weapon would be the completely Robocop. mechanical Robocop. Not, well, no, he's, he's, um, he's a cyborg, isn't he? Mm. So he's can you class a cyborg as a weapon? Yeah. He had uh, a program governing um, what he could and couldn't do. Uh, he didn't have really until towards the end of the movie, of course, his own free will. So, if you ask me, he was a he was a weapon. What? And the next one, moving us along again. Yeah, please do. Unless anybody wants to stop me, uh, shouldn't be on this list at all because it's a ship. Uh, tri- the tripods in the War of the Worlds, uh, the Martian tripods in HG of HG Wells. Uh, well, I suppose I do call them weapons, but isn't it still a ship? Uh, 1898 novel, The War of the Worlds, are undoubtedly the first example of alien war machines in sci-fi. Uh, the devastating heat rays, which could boil rivers, melt iron and glass, are also, uh, also precursors, precursors to uh, the genre's lasers, and the influence of Wells' exotic uh, mecha can be seen in such films as Independence Day and Star Wars. Yeah, so is it a ship or is it a weapon? I suppose. It, yeah, well, I guess it's a weapon because yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I think they're maybe being inaccurate with how they're saying the tripod isn't the weapon, but the Martian death ray would be more hmm. more accurate. Yeah, the Martian death ray is the weapon. This is their transport, also uh, coming out of the pods. Hmm. Whether it's the tentacles or this has tentacles, it's just they're invisible in, in the Byron Haskin uh, George Powell movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're there, we just don't see them. 
as they're floating around. Um, but coolness factor, oh God, yeah. yeah. It is just it is beautifully realized. Um, but um, I, I guess they think of this as a weapon because it's just it's that great mix of sound and visual. Um, that kind of uh, the noises it makes and everything you can just hear that on the soundtrack and you know what it is, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a bad impersonation of it. But hey, what do you uh, <laughs> now the the new film, the um, Tom Cruise version. I don't even remember the tripods in that, or oh. the, the 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 aspect of that one. The less said, uh, the better. Excuse me. The less said about it, the better. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I did not like that version too much, but um, this is a classic, and I know. And I know it's not a weapon. We go into the classification of maybe just nifty sci-fi gadgets, but I think nothing beats the George Powell time machine. Design and this this wonder of it all. Yeah, I, I mean, well, I just to mention tripods. I've got to mention tripods. I mean, the 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 weapon there really was the cap uh, that they put the they put on the heads because basically it put everybody into a a meek and uh, and submissive mood. Uh, so all all the young men at the they reached puberty had to go and be capped, and that was the way. Of controlling him, not not with a chemical control, but by this little, you know, the heads were shaved, and then this cap was put on their head. This looked like a, a, a metallic chip, really. And uh, this just, I'm just trying to find a clip very quickly here. And okay. uh, while you do yeah. that, I'm going to introduce the next list, but we can always go back. The yeah. next list. Just to kind of finish things off and, and to, to catch, I know uh, some of the weapons that we're, we're like, well, where is this? Um, it comes from IGN. It's the uh, 25 coolest sci-fi movie weapons. Uh, from thermal detonators to, fa- uh, to phasers to bombs uh, that look like your grandma's head, we rank the best in the genre. So I'm going to skip, of course, over the ones that have already been mentioned. Briefly stop at ones that haven't. Uh, to see if anybody has any input or a favorite. So these ones are numbered from uh, 25 all the way down to 1. So um, I'll go, and Dave will stop me when he's uh, got his... Uh, yeah, I will do. All right, coming at number 25, the uh, um, previously mentioned the Alpha Omega Bomb from Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, number 24 from Death Race 2000, the Hand Grenade. Death Race 2000 stars uh, David Carradine as the famed racer named Frankenstein, whose ultimate plan to win the transcontinental road race, shake hands with the president and kill him with a grenade that's built into his hand, into his fake hand. Evil plans don't get much more brilliantly foolproof than that. Yeah, a hand grenade. Mm. Coming in at number 23 is uh, from Akira, of course, the Soul Satellite. Is Mike on audio yet? No. Well, if you got any, any anything to add on that, Mike, put it 
texture. Number 22, it was called the bone gun in a previous list. It's called the gristle gun here from existence. Uh, same gun, of course. Number 21, the sonic shotgun from Minority Report. There isn't much of uh, this piece in the uh, Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg film, but we liked what we saw and, yeah, heard. Uh, <laughs> the sonic park allows for some sweet sound effects and the uh, swivel motion of the hilt for reloading uh, we think is pretty cool too. Honorable mention goes to the uh, six tick, uh, also from the film, which makes uh, the targets all pukey. Yuck. <laughs> uh, the six tick. <laughs> but yeah, the Sonic Shotgun thing was pretty cool. I found the clip. All right. And uh, this is from uh, this is from the uh, the uh, uh, War of the Worlds, but this is from the. Uh, the death ray, I think it is, from the radio. The deputation steadily advanced. But suddenly, there was dead silence. Flutter, flutter, flutter went the white handkerchief. A cloud of bright green smoke in three distinct puffs rose out of the pit. It was so bright, the blue sky and the brown common and the black pine seemed to darken abruptly. There was a hissing sound. And then, a humped, dark shape loomed halfway above the lip of the crater. And... And then... It was a ghost of a beam of light, pale and flickering. The pines behind the deputation burst into flame. Furze bushes and bracken flared up. Everything in the path of the ray, right away into the distance, as far as Knapp Hill and Chertsey. Trees and hedges and buildings reeled over as though struck by a flash of lightning. It was as though the humped Martian in the crater had laid an invisible hot finger over the ground in the direction of the deputation. The dark earth smoked and crackled. Sense and his little wedge of followers burst into a living flame. A living flame of flesh and clothing. They staggered and fell and lay still. A fearful flash of white light, blinding, flickered over them. On the ground, I saw only their burnt, blackened, and unrecognizable bodies. I'd seen the heat ray in action for the first time. Heat ray. Heat ray. I was to hear those two words over and over again in the hideous days ahead. That's from about 1956, a radio play. I mean, you know, radio has the best pictures, doesn't it, Ken? Yep. So, that, yeah, that was the heat ray, if you haven't guessed. Sorry, Ian, but thank you for indulging me with that. Not a problem. All right, moving on to number 20 in the IGN list. Uh, from Starship Troopers, the mini-nuke. Rocket-propelled grenades are all fine and well, but uh, what if you're staring down a nest full of gigantic space bugs who want nothing more than to rip your flesh from your bones? Then you upgrade to a mini-nuke. 
This handy little device looks like any old RPG launcher, but it packs enough wallet to bring down a mountain. Suddenly being frontline inventory and infantry doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen this movie, to be honest. I've seen bits of it. Does that count? No? Okay. No. There's no which bits. Hmm? There's no which bits. Uh, one with bugs in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm being very precise. All right, coming in at number 19 is one of my favorite weapons <laughs> from Men in Black, the Noisy Cricket. Don't you have a clip? Oh, for a cl- uh, we do have a clip for that. Let me, yeah, clip for that. I've got it if you want. Can I find it now? Cause it, no, it's okay. Here we go. Okay. Give the kid a weapon. That's what I'm talking about. Noisy cricket. Hey, Kay, no, no, come on, man. You, you get a, a series four deatomizer, I, I get a little, little midget cricket. Look, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm gonna break this damn thing. Okay. And that's the trouble, of course, is uh, chasing somebody's getting away, and uh, the recoil on it is the biggest thing, and he ends up crashing into a car. He's standing on a car, firing, and he gets blown back into the windscreen of another car. So, <laughs> But it's a real dicky-looking thing. Uh, judge this weapon uh, by its size, do you? Oh, sorry, wrong franchise. Sure, uh, this little Men in Black Stanner may look like it came out of an arcade vending machine. They still have those, don't they? Uh, but the noisy cricket wielded by uh, Will Smith's Agent J packs a serious punch, capable of blowing a hole in the wall with a single shot. The noisy cricket also has enough of a kickback that if the user isn't careful, it might be going to run through a wall too. If this happens, cracking wise is recommended. Um, it's one of my favorite ones just because, you know, I mean, especially the first time you watch the movie, you know, you think he gets this tiny little gun because he's the, 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 the rookie and everything, and uh, they don't trust him with anything else. The first time he shoots it, it just <laughs> and then he shoots it again and, and blows a hole in, in a couple of things. But I think memorable, uh, not necessarily for its shape or size or anything, but just uh, comedy, I guess, in effect. Mm. It was good. Mm-hmm. Anybody else with a noisy cricket? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch Men in Black again now. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Bug in the egg or suit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming in at number 18, the head bomb from Total Recall. Yes, we've had a hand grenade. Now we've got a head bomb. Uh, when you need to sneak into a heavily fortified Martian installation and somehow smuggle in a weapon at the same time, it's best to kill two birds with one stone. Um, Schwarzenegger made an entrance as only he can by disguising himself as a large red-headed woman. Not only was this mask convincing until it starts malfunctioning, 
Uh, but it made a handy bomb. You know, it'll need a quick distraction. Who says you can Who says you need to prioritize form or function? <laughs> I must admit, this was one of the, like I think the coolest effects from the the movie um, was this you know this woman walking through, and you you don't even think about you know the, that it might be you know somebody in disguise, and all of a sudden it starts malfunctioning, and then the head comes off. And he throws it, and it says, get ready for a surprise. <laughs> it blows up. <laughs> and my, if Dave will forgive me if he had a clip of that, that said all of that. <laughs> uh, I've got a clip now. Oh, then it's just but I was not, not going to play faulty clips. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's one of the cool ones. Great. I'm going to move on then. If you feel the need, just jump right in over the top of me, whatever. If not, I'm going to bowl on because we've approached uh, 5 o'clock and uh, we're Time still going. Move on. Yeah. Yep. Um, one of the best sounding weapons ever that, that kind of almost blows you out of your seat when you're in the theater. And I wish I had the sound system to, to support it at home whenever I watch this movie. Uh, from uh, Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, the seismic charge. Wang! <laughs> when Jango Fett and his boy are looking uh, to take out nosy Obi-Wan Kenobi in an asteroid field in Attack of the Clones, the bounty hunters put these memorable little suckers to use. While the charge's ability to slice entire asteroids in half is impressive, uh, the device sucking all sound out of the surrounding area and producing a shockwave out of that sound is really freaking cool, too. And yes, we know that in real life there's no sound in space. And no, we don't care. <laughs> I love this in the theater, just to be sitting there and, and for everything to go quiet. And then, whang! And it, it literally, it just be like, whoa, what the hell was that? Um, i got to say that, that just for the sound effect alone is a hell of an impressive weapon. Well, it must have been good. It's well, not good, bad. It's just blown Darth off the off the room. <laughs> uh, but looking at that image, uh, the first thing I saw when I saw it, I thought it's a big friendly button. <laughs> it looked like the one from the uh, the Doctor Who episode, um, the the grenade light thing. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you ever actually see it. See it, but uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, you do when it when it gets released, it, it you know you can see it briefly and then. It... <laughs> Sorry, I was just watching the clip on the website. For anybody who wants to, to look these up on IGN, uh, it's the twenty five coolest sci fi movie weapons, and uh, many of these have uh, little YouTube clips to go along with them. So, fear not, you can listen to Bwang as much as you like. Yeah, and if you're wondering why I haven't got clips from that, we found that page after there was some criticism of the original list that we had. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, which is uh, we've just gone I'm... with this list to, to begin with. But hey, <laughs> we're we're fallible. Well, what can you say? Should we uh, recruit our members to read one each now? Maybe Jeff and then Ken? Yeah, if you want. Can you do Tron for us, Jeff, and then go to Ken? Sure. The Identity Disk from Tron. Imagine if your wallet contained every last piece of information about you and took the form of a Frisbee. 
And what if you could use that frisbee as a weapon that bounces off walls and turns anyone it touches into a pile of corrupted data particles? That pretty much daily life in the grid. This is one tool you definitely don't want to leave home without. Right, now we should say this is from the the 2010 Tron movie. I can't, it's not the same frisbee. I mean, I knew they, they threw the frisbee in the original, but I don't know whether it had the same capabilities. Uh, pretty much so, but you just you got a little more kind of uh, detail in, in, in the newer movie. I mean, it's still... The data disk was was your kind of ID and everything in the in the first movie too, and was still used as a weapon. Um, it more just took people out really in that, and and this one I think you can actually just be like wounded by it, and yeah. Right now that Although takes the first us to movie the end. Better than the second movie. Right, that takes us to the end of uh, page two. So I don't know whether Ken has got a chance to got the third page up. Yes, I do. We're up to number fifteen. Thank you. The L-O-O-K-E-R gun, Looker, also known as the Light Ocular Oriented Kinetic Emotive Responses Gun. This device showed up in the 1981 Michael Crichton sci-fi posing as thriller picture featuring some out there concepts at the time. 3D digital scanning, subliminal advertising, Albert Finney starring in a sci-fi movie, the most memorable was the looker gun. This pistol didn't fire bullets, but instead pulses of light that momentarily daze its target, resulting in the illusion of invisibility for the user. I can't say I remember about this one at all. So again, those people listening to the recording later and thinking, we skipped over my favorite, then as we always say, uh, we talk about the ones that are familiar to those people that are here on audio. Remember, we do this live. You're most welcome to join us at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Talk Show ID 54821. So uh, forgiveness for that. And if you're on Facebook, join on our Facebook page. There is a There will be a, a list of comments about this. I'll be removing the uh, invite to this show, but there should be a, a recording link shortly after we go off air and you can put any comments under that i'd like to take the next one in because uh, i i was quite a fan of this film uh okay. i'm quite a keanu reeves fan actually when i think about it uh this is from johnny mnemonic well i like the point is he's got this very stilted uh and maybe wooden delivery as some people would think but often that that suits when you're playing a non-human or a uh, you know, a person where, you know, I mean, somebody like uh, Jeff Bridges did even better because he could play, you know, the ordinary person and he could play Starman and he believed he wasn't human. So, anyway, uh, mono uh, monomonocular uh, wire. Monomonocular wire isn't a unique concept in fiction, but Johnny Mnemonic made it cool. The idea is simple. A thin chain of diamond molecules with unbreakable bonds that can be used as a garrote or a whip. Even better is the fact that the molecular generators are stored in an assistant's thumbs. It's sort of like having a lightsaber uh, stashed in your fingertips. I mean, this was really uh, very, uh, obviously a secretive weapon, 
uh, and very, uh, very, very effective. Basically, it's so thin, it just cut through body parts like cheese, like a cheese cutter, in fact. I mean, that's the easiest analogy. So that's from Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, I thought that was really effective weapon. Admittedly, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, this is the coolest list, it, you know, if there's 25 people coming at you, it's not going to be much use, although you can release one end and use it like a whip and chop people up. Um, but um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of the other film where we had a similar weapon used, where it sliced off somebody's arm or something, and I'm having trouble remembering it. Uh, let me do, um, well, we've covered, uh, should we skip number 13? Because we've already done Road Cop, yep. haven't we? Coming in at number 13 is the Auto 9, which we've already mentioned from Robocop. And I'm going to do number 12 before Dave gets to it. Because yeah, it's one of my favorites. And, and one of Callum's favorites. My my uh, almost four-year-old son is a, become a huge Ghostbusters fan. He loves watching uh, Ghostbusters 1 and 2. In fact, I've probably seen Ghostbusters 2 about four times this week. Uh, <laughs> do, you want the, do you want the clip first? Do you want the clip first? Sure, go ahead. Switch me on. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good-bad thing. What do you mean, bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. All right, Ray, take the left. Egon, take the right. Go, Ray. Egon. <laughs> One of my favorite bits. <laughs> The government classifies them as unlicensed nuclear accelerators. We prefer to think of them as the best damn device for getting rid of ghosts you'll ever come across. The proton packs allow Ghostbusters to rein in everyone from Slimer to the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with only miles of moderate property damage. And of course, they're mostly safe, as long as you don't cross the streams. <laughs> I mean, these, these, these things were great. Um, and all you needed was a backpack and, and a stick with some string attached, and you had a proton pack. Actually, I went trick-or-treating as a Ghostbuster once and had um, a, a, a proton pack with a gun, and it was awesome. <laughs> and you can pay me good money, and I'll put the picture online. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Anybody else? Thinking we've got more. Pack? Yeah, I'm sure we've got some more fans. Oh, yeah, the great weapon, great visuals. Uh, I just love that weapon. I mean, I, I guess the, the one thing I liked about it is that that it, throughout this proton stream, um, that I mean, they could have just had it blast a ghost, um, but they put kind of put some thought into to to what these things did, and they threw this like this uh, harness. Yeah, once it latched onto the the, the ghost, it, you know, it would hold it there, um, and then you could use another one to to, to hold it in position, and you, then you throw the trap underneath, and and you know, while you're holding the ghost in place, so they don't actually kill the ghost or anything. They just are there almost like a, you know, a, a noose 
uh to 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 you know lasso in the ghost and and uh and to hold it in place we, and they have so to use te- they have to use teamwork yeah, yeah it, it required it meant that meant there was a reason for having you know these three guys you know that they 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 had um they had to work in either in tandem or or, or in three in, in, in threes to or four to to to, to do the deed so uh yeah it all made sense you know, done away with in the second movie, but hey, what do you do? Had the slime gun, <laughs> which was a little less impressive. All right, let's froster. <laughs> All right, coming in at number eleven is the thermal detonator from uh, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, because he's holding a thermal detonator. Cues, just crumb getting all cutesy scared. <laughs> Even though we uh, never got to see this uh, particular weapon actually put to use in Return of the Jedi, expanded use, uh, expanded universe, this is another matter altogether. The threat of it is almost enough to save Han Solo from Jabba. Almost. Still, we get a charge uh, out of the thermal detonator for uh, much of its sleeker design and the idea of what, it's, what it's capable of if, as anything else. Surely those who wield it are our kind of scum, fearless and inventive. You see, that's where I have a that, problem with things like this on the list. It's like, yeah, the idea of it's cool, but you never get to see it in action, so. Right. And if you're wondering why Garth's not chiming in on this one, he's just had audio troubles and, and dropped off audio and will be with us next week. But I'm sure he would have had something informative to tell us about this. Yep. We know he would. Anyone else in the room? Um if not, I'll move us on to the next page. Um, number 10, Deckard's Gun. Deckard's Gun? Blade Runner. Uh, decades into the future. Lots of Deckard's here, isn't there? Decades into the future. When cars fly, robots are used for slave labour, and it never stops raining. Hard-boiled detectives still rely on bullets to get the job done. Their handguns just pack more of a wallop. Detective Deckard's Gun is much a rifle as it is a pistol. The prop was actually constructed with components of a German target rifle. It looks cool, and it's got the range of power to take down fleeing replicants in the middle of a rainstorm. I mean, I'm sure lots of our listeners are real fans of the actual Blade Runner. Don't ask me, uh, as um, they would say on the Big Bang Theory, uh, is it the director's final cut of the final cut of the director's cut? Is it the one with the over with the narration over it, or without narration? Uh, Ken, are you a bit of a... Uh, big, big Blade Runner fan. Right, I thought so. But for the version that came out, when it came out, not not unicorny added, different version, etc. You know, and, or what the director thinks the movie means this week. Right. Um, but wouldn't you say that the replicants are actually... I mean, like Ian said with the Robocop, the Robocops are... Uh, weren't the replicants? I mean, they were built. They were made to be soldiers, weren't they? They so, fought yeah, in the all these wars. Are, yeah, they're yeah in and all to use in mining and in wars <clears throat> in the outworld colonies. And I mean, the guns there is just maybe a you know a policeman's gun. Uh, the thing that captures in the mind is the spinner car. I would say if, if there's you know, some bit of hardware from Blade Runner that catches in the mind, you know, it, it's the spinner car. 
but yes, he's he's a uh, Blade Runner, and um, he has a gun, and that's about it. So I mean, it's it's not really an impressive uh, handgun. It just does the job. It shoots, kind of kind of shoots a dart. Yeah, kind of, kind of shoots a dart. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a detective, really, isn't he? I mean, uh, that's the futuristic detective, yeah. really. But I mean, tons of. I mean the 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 film, you know, it's like film noir and space together, isn't it? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let me move it on. I'm going to read the next one and then um number 8. Maybe Jeff would be ready to read 7 when we get to it cuz I think he he'd be a fan of that one. Let me read number 8. The smart number disc. 9 is. Hey. Tell him what number 9 is. I know we've covered it, but tell Oh, sorry. Yeah, quite right. Number 9. Absolutely. First mistake of the day. Um, uh, Phaser. Number nine is Phaser Star Trek, which we have covered uh, before. That's why I was giving it. So I'm moving it to number eight. Smart Disc. Smart Man. Smart Alec. Smart Disc. Okay, Ian? <laughs> Predator 2. One advantage of City Hunter Predator had in Predator 2 of the original film's Jungle Hunter was a larger and more varied arsenal. The smart disc is pretty much the galaxy's coolest boomerang. It's like a razor-sharp frisbee that can be trolled by in-helmet sensors and always comes back to its owner, no matter what. How this Predator welded so much fancy tech and still managed to defeat, be defeated by Danny Glover is a question for the ages. Uh, again, no, I'm not. But there's been a few. There's been a few weapons like that where you throw them. Uh, there was one of these sword and sandal ones, wasn't it? Where um, they had like a three-bladed thing that he flew through, like a boomerang with three things that were blades on it. Oh, Krill yeah, Krill. Of, uh, from Krull. 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 I almost got there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then of course we had the one. Right. Okay. Oh, I haven't read that far. Um, so let's move on to number seven. Jeff, would you? Kind. Oh, it's still stepping away. Sorry. Ian, you might have to do this one. If I can go back a page. <laughs> Should oh, I read it? The Genesis device oh. from Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. I think this was mentioned pre show, I'm not sure. As with many weapons, Carol and David Marcus' Genesis device was originally intended to help people, not harm them. It's a world builder, world, world builder, <laughs> terraforming technology that can create lush, class-M planets where there was just once desolate rock. As Marcus says, it's life from lifelessness. The only problem is it can work both ways. If you drop a Genesis device in the middle of space where there's already life, well, suffice to say, bad stuff happens. And it turns out, it doesn't work right anyway. The planet it creates is unstable and blows itself to hell in a very short time indeed. <laughs> yeah. And not to effect, be confused with... Go on. Sorry. You should be interrupting me like that. I thought you weren't going to read it at all, that's why. What? I thought you'd stop because you weren't going to read it at all. No, I'm just not reading the ones we've already covered. Like the next one. It's the pulse rifle from aliens. We already talked about. 
Right, so let's move on to the top five. So we're nearly there. Then number five, it's the Death Star, which we've already thought about. So we're now down to four. Yep. Uh, number four, it's the Weirding Module. Ooh, I'll have to read this one carefully. Uh, in the original June novel, and when I say original, there are about 26 of them. I assume it means the first. The Weirding Way is an advanced and highly precise form of martial arts. When he took on the challenge of adapting June for the big screen, one of the many cha- changes David Lynch made was to <coughs> replace the weirding way with weirding modules. These devices convert certain sounds into powerful blasts of sonic energy. Space fun- Kung Fu is one thing, but it's hard to stop an idea of breaking your name and watching stone and flesh explode before you. <coughs> I've never seen Dune. Well, I've read a lot of the, an awful lot of the books, and of course, um, in in the first, well, certainly the TV film, um, of course, uh, Captain Picard was in there as well, uh, playing Duncan. Duncan is uh, uh, is no, he, trainer. Excuse me, he, he, no, he was a Gurney Halleck. Gurney, all oh, right. Thank you. Okay, do you want to make it? Do you know much about the? I'm not really. Well, that, that was the, the David Lynch one. film, not not the TV version. Ah, right. And um, they had the um, the module even using uh, Paul's name becomes a killing word, Mwadib. They used that aspect of it in the film. Ah. So that when he when he's when he's uh, training the Fremen. Uh, to cut through the uh, impenetrable rocks, one of them says his name, and it goes out of control because he, uh, his messianic uh, attitude even works uh, toward this hybrid of uh, machine and uh, mysticism. You know, as as Lynch put it in the film. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, my brother-in-law Gary, he's got all the Dune. Stories, he's read them all, uh, and he loves it. Um, I mean, the uh, Arrakis, the the planet that is also known as June, and the whole storyline is brilliant. Um, uh, but um, yeah, and of course the chap who played Winston Churchill, uh, he um, in Doctor Who, that same actor was uh, yeah, he played Baron Harkonnen, yeah. In the in the in the TV versions, right. I think the best Dune probably would be a combination of the David Lynch film and some of the things they did on TV. Well, I like the Children of Dune, the miniseries. That was, that was excellent. That was the best. I think that was great. Right. Right. Um, All right. Coming in at number three is the Art Gun who, uh, from District 9 that we mentioned in one of the prior lists. Number two, which is something that Dave just brought up, is The Glaive from Krull. I love Krull. It's an awesome movie. And here's what it has to say. Krull wasn't exactly a resounding success at the box office in 1983. The film does maintain a cult following, uh, but we wonder how much of that's due to the film's signature weapon, The Glaive. Far from the Polex-type weapon of uh, European history, the Glaive and Krull is more akin to the Smart Disc and Predator 2. 
It's a combination uh, throwing star and boomerang. But what really sets uh, this beastly weapon apart is the five retractable blades and the many magical enchantments. Magical enchantments that, among other things, actually make wielding such a dangerous weapon practical. In real life, the glaive is more likely to cut off the wielder's fingers, but on the planet Krell, it can fulfill prophecies and unite people under one banner. Yeah, I don't know why this is so high, though. I mean, would you have rated it this high, even though you like it? As a weapon, sp- though. Uh, remember, this is the coolest list, not necessarily the most you know, effective weapons. I mean, it is cool, but... You know, I, I do find that that, that Curl does have a cult following, so its likelihood of being, you know, resoundingly cool is uh, limited. I think. I think that once people hear it on the list, I'll be, oh yeah, I remember that. But I don't think if you said to somebody your top five weapons that they'd, they'd, they'd come out and say, oh, the glaive from Curl. I really don't. Right. Okay. Well, let, let me move us on to number one, and then we'll may just have a little bit of time to mention uh, one or two each and um, we ought to mention the one that logo uh, Logan, that logan was keen that we should have been included i think you've already got a clip prepared for that one right ian but um uh, number one is the lightsaber let me uh play uh the clip um here we go you fought in the clone wars yes i was once a jedi knight the same as your father I wish I'd known. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. I understand you've become quite a good pilot yourself. And he was a good friend. Which reminds me. I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough. But your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Sir, if you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. Sure, go ahead. What is it? Your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Uh, the obvious pick for number one? Sure, but come on, George Lucas' lightsaber is such a simple yet awesome concept. It quite frankly amazes us that it took as long as it did to permeate pop culture. Yes, variations on it uh, were around prior to Star Wars, but Luke and old Ben and, of course, Darth Vader brought this serious tool, cool weapon to the forefront. Of course, you could say there was Darth Maul's double-hander as well, wasn't there? Dare we say it changed all our lives. The lightsaber has inspired a generation after generation of kids and adults to uh, conduct make-believe duels in their backyards, while also searing our love of the Star Wars franchise into the collective psyche, like the burning hot blade of the saber itself. Popcorn blockbusters may come and go, but the lightsaber is a reminder that Star Wars is forever. And I liked it because it connects one of my favourite genres of films, you know, the old um, Robin Hood and this sword and swashbuckling, you know, Crimson Pirate and all the films I know Kennel appreciate and know. 
uh, it connects then Highlander, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Don't, don't mock ye not. I like I know that. you. I know you uh, have a soft spot for Highlander. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think it connects the two. I think it's, and uh, undoubtedly, uh, in this list, I think it deserves to be top as coolest uh, weapon, if it's not the, the greatest weapon, certainly the coolest. So, um, I would agree with Mike's that. Because, because like it says, like it says, you know, um, you don't even need uh, the, an entire sword to to have a lightsaber battle. All you need to do is hold your hands like you're holding one, and make the noise, <laughs> and and you're set. Yeah. You know, and you just play with somebody else who's willing to play along with the game, and you're set. You don't even need it. It just you can pretend. Yeah, I've got a comment on what Mike's put. He's, he's talking about the original um, Seven Samurai, the uh, Kurosawa's films. Mm. Yes. Uh, so, this, Ken, do you want to... This is the comment? ultimate cool weapon for everyone. This is like the joy that if, if anybody could have a weapon, this is what you want. You see that You see Star Wars the first time, and your eyes light up like Christmas morning. Ooh. I want one of those. And you Yeah, but it's wrong when you it's wrong when you get one, it says batteries not included. Well, they used to have seventeen <laughs> <spring, laughs> ink plastic ones. You just go <laughs> with your mouth. This one this one's now that you can buy that are you know I mean they've got they're still it's like a tube uh in there, but they light up and as you move them they make noise and they're fantastic. And then there's ones that you can get custom made. And, and but can you but can you battle with them? There's ones that you can. Yeah. Okay. Because for a while like, that you couldn't. Yeah. There's there's lightsaber academies out there now too, and they do a terrific job. They do all sorts of, you know, the, the people who are really good at it. They do all the somersaults and flips and everything. And and yeah. Um, well, it's that the best brings us back. Like Go ahead. So that brings us back to you. Had a report about Megacon. I'm sure one of the YouTube clips I saw of them looking around Megacon. Uh, there's a great um, uh, people cosplayer. There's an uh, Aladdin and uh, his girlfriend there, or whatever. But the, the, I saw a, a lightsaber demonstration going on in, in one of the halls. Oh, I, I'm sure. I wish I'd, I wish I'd seen that. Uh, I mean, I think, I think they were Darth Vader with a lightsaber. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. I, mean, I, um, I think the ones that you can fight with and everything are quite expensive because they're built, you know, they're built yeah. sturdy. Um, yeah. Wow. But the toy ones, not so much. I think you can swing around and everything, but they're not made to be kind of banged. I mean, Mike's not an audio, but is it Kendo where they they use sticks? I mean, I realise they are not lightsabers, but I think, I think the, so. I think so. Oh, Kendo, yeah, the Kendo it's called. And um, no. Well, okay. oh. And anyway, well, one of our friends, uh, April, I'm sure she 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 does Kendall fight, doesn't she? I think so. Yeah, yeah well, from what from Naked Wines. <laughs> Kendall lives in Scotland. The son and the son, yeah, Kendall and Mike's put that in. Right, and uh, you'll have to decide how much time we've got here. But I think we want to. Would you mention Logan's one that was uh, disappointed and? And play your little clip. Yes, um, this is what Logan says: is is the the biggest, baddest 
most powerful weapon ever. And here we go. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! There you go. Uh, the Green Lantern ring, the power of the lantern itself, which could only be defeated by the color yellow or uh, wood or something like that. <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm paraphrasing from uh, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> well, if we've only got you know choice choice of our time for one or two each, one one I would think of is going back to the Star Trek uh, again is the uh, that red matter you know the um, in the latest uh, Star Wars movies that came mm. uh, the first one uh, and they have this is it I don't know it's anti it's like dark matter but it's red matter um, and um, that's where they, they they extract just a drop of it. Uh, and they can use that to destroy a whole world. Uh, so that was a an extremely powerful uh, weapon in itself. As we just give the, Jeff time to get himself settled, we've just covered uh, lightsabers and we've just covered the Green Lantern. Ken, do you want to suggest one that would have been missed out? Oh, yeah, I, I, got time. I think it would qualify as a cool weapon and also it can become something incredibly deadly, the Iron Giant. Mm. Because it's it's a world killer. It's I you could even say that it's a mobile Death Star unto itself. Who knows what capacity that uh, entity was used oh. for? Well, wouldn't you say Gorn then? Is it Gorn from Vader uh, stood still? Yeah, Gort. 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 Gorn. <laughs> yeah. But. You know, most most definitely, I would say Iron Giant, not in his Superman mode, but uh, in his gun mode. Right. I've got a a soft spot for uh, the uh, the one of the in in Blake Seven the phasers in there. Um, What were they? Um, Oh. Yeah, the 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 guns where they were individually. Once you grabbed hold of the handle, that was yours, and you you know nobody else could fire it, so they couldn't grab your gun off you and fire it, could they? Yeah, the, so the like little a, sticks. Yeah, they were like sticks yeah. rather than you know. And I thought that was kind of neat, a cool idea. They kind of went away from the old gun shape or you know pistol shape, or whatever. And they had this like, I just like the look of them. They they're kind of cool. You know, and they had like the power cord attached to the end. No, they were good. Yeah. They were very good. Uh, yeah, Jeff, as they've alluded to, we don't have an oh. awful lot of time, so uh, if anybody has... Uh, well, let's bring Jeff in just to give him a chance. Sure. Well, uh, there's just one that I can think of that's not on any of these lists, and it probably should have been on the ultimate list, and that's the Doomsday Machine from the original Star Trek. Now, true, um, they just rammed a, a starship down its throat and blew up the impulse engine to deactivate it, but uh, the, the hull on the thing couldn't be penetrated. Uh, just had that gaping uh, maw at the front of it. But, um, you know, the, the use of that weapon in Star Trek did not stop with that episode. It was in at least two of the uh, Star Trek video games, and... 
it was in a Star Trek uh, Voyager comic. It was also in uh, a Star Trek The Next Generation novel. And in the novel, they combined it with a sentient person. And obviously, you know, uh, the, the original was just a robot. And um, if you combine it with a person, uh, somebody that can think, it can avoid just ramming a ship down its throat. So to me, I think the Doomsday Machine should have been on this list, and it wasn't. Okay. And guest 11 has put in uh, from Farscape. Uh, the memorable fondness for Winona, John Crichton's mm. personal pulse pistol. Uh, there's nothing cooler than uh, naming your favourite gun. <laughs> yep. You could argue if yeah. you uh, want to go. Uh, if you're talking about women, what about um, from Serenity and uh, Firefly? Um, what's the um, the Summer Glau character called? River. Because she was. River, River Salt, not River Salt, River Tam. River Tam. Because she was base, she was basically an assassin, wasn't she? And yeah. and also the uh, the Jew, Ju- Ju- hey, I think they said it, Jew of Hell to four. Um, in the, hey, Jew of Hell to four. Yeah, well, that, that, for me, that was almost. Um, There's two mistakes. He so played it. Now. Right, he. <laughs> oh, we we can close the show now. Yeah, he was excellent <laughs> as the. Uh, the the man the man in that that was great. Okay, uh, I think we need to stop for Ian's sake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic support. Thank you for everybody. Thank you for Cy Bob and uh, Mike and uh, the different guests guests eleven and so on in the room. Darth dropped off audio and so did Rick Wall and Logan and quite a few of us. But um, we better let Ian take us out. The biggest mm-hmm. weapon we've got. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. All right. Join us next week when Dave will tell us exactly what the topic is. <laughs> well, no, we're going to have a chat tonight, Ian. We're going we're gonna to crack out three or four topics. Or, or tomorrow night, because there's nobody at home tomorrow. So we'll, but we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> okay. All right. But until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. It's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.